Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is, is Box, Box Office, Office 30. 30. Welcome to Box Office 30. We're back with the review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. I am joined, as usual, by Michael and our returning special guest, Luke. How are you guys? I'm well. I'm oozing with uh, with thoughts and feelings about this movie. I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> How about you, Luke? What's, what's going on? How are you doing? My uh, ninja instincts are are sharp, and I think uh, I I have a new view of what this turtle movie was and is now. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's a very good way of putting it. I have a new view on this movie. I yes, would say. <laughs> I feel like that's always the thing with the review. Yeah, you two came prepared with those slick intros. I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I must have missed a memo. So. Before we get kicked off, I want to promote something that I'm a big fan of that I I bought at the beginning of the like sh- shelter at home, you know, the start of the pandemic. It's this device called BusyBox, right? And I have it right here. You know, for those of you who are not visually looking at us, you can't see it. But it's a device that you can actually um, like adhere to your wall and has a bunch of different plates and interchangeable things and it pairs to your phone via bluetooth and you do like a ton of different colors and themes and whatever and i got it because i'm like really obsessed with hey i'm on a zoom call hey i'm doing a podcast leave me alone because someone always keeps coming in and so i got this thing it arrives at the house and funny enough dory keeps stealing it whenever she's got a conference (laughs) call I'm like, I bought this for me. (laughs) Just to like explain too, like what Mike is holding up, because I think he just gave a whole lot of words, but none of them really quite explained what it is. It's basically a little black box. Like an on-air light. It says the word recording, and it is lighting up bluish at the moment, purplish. Well, this is purple. I have a purple themed one right now, but I could change it to different colors that I want. It says recording. Now, now like, do you have to swap in different plates or can you like... so there's, the text of that. there's two versions. There's a standard version, which is what I got, which is swappable plates. And then there's an actual digital LED screen that you can actually key command it into the app on the phone and then just queue it up whatever you want. I, I got this one just because I wanted to like see what it was like. And so I came, came with recording, on air, busy, do not disturb, on a call, uh, podcasting or whatever. And I can just swap them out real quick and then I stick it outside. It even comes with a cool stand. And I was talking to them recently via email, and I, I told them that I promoted them on the on my other podcast, and they were like, "Oh, cool! Well, we're going to promote you guys." I'm like, "Oh, cool!" So I figured I, you know, I'm to shout shout them out again on our podcast. This is a really <laughs> cool device, really cool company. It's it's very inventive. It charges via uh, USB C. It's got all kinds of different mounting ways of doing hanging it. 
It's got two different plates, a white plate and a black plate, so depending on what kind of your walls are. I just really liked that. I thought it was cool. It's fun. And it was really, really neat. And I got it as like a, I think they were like an Indiegogo campaign. And it just came about a week or so ago. And I've been using it every day on Zoom calls or podcasts <laughs> or whatever. And just thought it was pretty cool. Now, I have I have questions, okay? Sure, yeah. So, so the first question here is, is that you got that thing just literally to let your wife know that you she can't come in the room. And then now Dude. she's been stealing it from you to do it to you. <laughs> hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and it's just like, you know, I thought it'd be like when the kids are upstairs and they're playing or whatever, they could see it and know not to come in, but you know, they just see a red light and they just want to play with it. And I have to hear Dory yelling, daddy's podcast. Don't go in. Well, then- so that brings me kind of to my next thing then, because a, a little, little known um, after the fact from last podcast you know, we we finished that episode up with a big old kawabunga. Now, my question is, does that also have a faceplate that tells you don't scream kawabunga at 10 o'clock at night? You're going to get yelled at and put on the couch for doing so. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, that was oh, that was that was not a wise choice by me because I went all in on the kawabunga. Because and- I'm thinking like what you need is a plate that, that actually like faces into the room with you and says like, Reminder, children possibly sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Shush. It just needs to say shush. (laughs) So to the good folks over at that company, there's another plate design for you. Yeah. Kids asleep. (laughs) Well, you can actually order and make custom ones as well if you want to get, which is pretty neat. And so you could check out the website. It's busyboxsign.com. And they're a really nice company. A bunch of young people created the product. And it's really, really it's got some meat to it. It's not like a little plastic chintzy nothing. I really like it. Uh, it's pretty cool. Just wanted to shout it out and shout them out because it's pretty cool. And figured, you know, what the heck? And right but, now it's on the couch with you, so it's doing nothing. Nobody outside the room knows it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to show you it. I had to physically show you. I feel like making us stop the podcast to let you go and affix it to the outside of the door, just in case Dory happens no. by that she'll remember <laughs> well if she, if she a- happens to open up the door i'm just gonna hold it up like this gotcha. <laughs> fair, enough. fair enough you know what you need now is that for like um if i get on like a diatribe as i'm prone to doing you need like a wrap it up version of that that you can hold up and show me that would that would be That's a good use pretty that. good yeah. i'm gonna order one of those hey enough is enough for you yes. and for adam all yeah. right we've been going on for four hours now enough is enough fair enough <laughs> so anyway as we were talking you know about this month's movie is teenage mutant ninja turtles to the secret of the ooze and so i literally had forgotten that i had elected to t- do the the notes on this thing so i'm um, this guy's three in a row in here we we uh, realized the downside of the uh the trade the trade because i realized that later on in the year because i was offering mike i was like do you want me to take the, the notes i know you've done three of these in a row now he's like no no i got it but then i realized after i said that to you oh i'm gonna have two in November and December, and then another in January for my three in a row. <laughs> so so it, it's going to come back to bite me later. Oh, thank year. goodness. Because I'm sitting there, because I was going through the list, and I'm like, wait a minute. How did I get so many in a row? And this guy's got kind of just a pretty even balance until the end of the year. But I forgot. 2022. Yeah, you so, got me coming into the new year. <laughs> so 
so I'm, I'm cramming watching this movie last night. I was watching it on my iPad. I was watching it on my Amazon Fire Stick. I was watching it on the phone, wherever I could, because I needed to have something next to me to take the notes. So I'm like swapping from phone to iPad to this to to, to put the notes in. Dad like. <laughs> oh, very dad like. You know, super, super dad like. And for the first time, Dory goes, why don't you just put it on the TV? And I'm like, this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. You want me to put it on the TV? So hey, if like, she came out with those cards last month, she's fair game. <laughs> right? That's what I, so I said, okay, fine. I'll pop it on. She's sitting on the couch. I'm sitting in the recliner. I looked over maybe four minutes in, and she's out cold on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the ideal scenario. <laughs> it really is. And, and then when the movie ended, she goes, it's over? I was like, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? You've been out cold for... for you you just regained an hour and a half of your life. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. And that's a very good way to kick this thing off. Is because I have <laughs> so many thoughts. Not a lot of the comments and thoughts that I have are really, you know, cinematic if you will or like the mise-en-scene of this film that's not what this is <laughs> this is a very uh matter of fact stream of consciousness sort of notes that i took Excellent. and right out of the gate i just had to point this out like they had this cool like majestic flyover into new york city and then you have this three minute credit sequence <laughs> and they just keep cutting from various parts of the city of people just eating pizza. And I'm like, I get it. <laughs> New Yorkers like pizza. We, this is what we do. We eat pizza over here in New York, you know? Give me that slice, yo. I gotta get that pepperoni on this pizza, man. I'm like, I'm like, holy cow, really hit me over the head with the pizza thing. Yeah, and they they went a little above and beyond with that. I mean, I get it. You know, I guess the whole turtles thing, but like, look, I was a New York city native from 2005 through just this last year. I never seen that many people just sitting out in the middle of the street, eating pizza. To be never. honest with you, I think most New Yorkers take on eating out in public is like that. There's like gross stuff falling on it. So like, yeah. we typically don't want to be doing that. Yeah. I mean, there have been exceptions to that rule that I've seen over time, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that one. <laughs> so, you although know, there is Pizza Rat, you know, so there, there was Pizza Rat. <laughs> there was Pizza Rat, right? I don't know if he's still around or not. If he isn't, R.I.P. Pizza Rat. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the things that I kind of notice as I'm watching this, and I made a very, very funny mistake that Pete had to correct in the notes <laughs> because it says in, in the credits Kevin Clash and I thought it was a typo for Kevin Nash not realizing that Kevin Clash is the voice of Splinter Adoy. My favorite thing about this because we do all of our notes in Google Docs is that you were like typing them and I was watching you type them and you're correcting <laughs> and then, stuff and then I just was like I put like a little like asterisk Flash is Splinter, and then you're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. It's very, yeah, very like 
my, off your head, top of the head. Like I was like, okay, I'm following it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Remember we had the whole thing with Elmo. <laughs> yes. yes, it's very stream of conscious. Well, I said. And I'm happy you bring him up too, because the other funny thing is that I realized, kind of per our conversation last week, that while I I actually went back and of course rewatched Ninja Turtles two, but I also went back and watched one. I felt good, good, because I wanted to discuss that because I just watched one for 90 Super Cinema through the Wizards podcast, and I have a lot of thoughts in relation to the two films because I, of that. I didn't watch three. I did watch the trailer for three. I, I, I didn't really have time to get through that one, but we'll I did there feel next the, year. the so. need to go back so I could kind of compare the first to the second in, in recent memory. Um but let's save the comparisons to later. Oh no, and totally. And, and and that's that's what I did want to say. But what I realized in rewatching these two on the Kevin Clash front is that my impression of the ninja from Nightlife that we were discussing last time is basically Master Splinter. Like it's it's like I, I kind of like I don't think I was consciously pulling that, but I realized that when I'm like the art of the ninja. And I'm like, that's Splinter straight up talking in these movies. Like that's definitely him. So, so me as the ninja is actually Kevin clash as Splinter. I, I've come to realize after rewatching these. Gee, that, that really changes everything in my perspective of you for the last 20 years of knowing you. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even realize it, but then I was like listening to him speak and I was just like, Oh my God, that, that character is definitely the same. So, as we're like still following through the credits and everything, we come across this kid who's a pizza delivery guy on a moped, which, you know, if, if you've ever seen anybody in New York City, there are, you know, moped guys that do deliveries and so on. So usually their bikes aren't as nice looking as this particular one, but neither here nor there. Anyway, he goes to, I guess it was like an underground mall of some sort. Because he goes I, downstairs, so I was and it's like a mall or a sports store. So and, I'm confused because he heads down to Spring Street. Right. Um, I happened to catch that, like that's what the sign was. And again, most of this stuff is like sets and things like that, so you can't be too crazy over it. But I don't know what would be around there that would be like that mall setting that they're that they're in. So yeah, I don't know, bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we we uh, we come upon you know. Ernie Reyes Jr., who is very, very fun in this movie at certain points. And he like, um, you're under arrest to a bunch of like yeah. robbers <laughs> in like pantyhose over their head. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, and then, you know, he's like yelling thing about that, too, by the by. Is that like the guy's immediate reaction is to like take the thing off his head to like? And, like I'm like, well, like so much for like wearing that if you're gonna just show the first person that walks in. They didn't get like dark enough either. It was really yeah. tan. So you're like, yeah. I can see your eyes, your eyebrows, everything's visible. I can you, see everything. You know, that's a funny thing. So this is it comes to my next thought. So then all of a sudden we get we hear the Ninja Turtles come flying in and we get this splash page of, you know, the, the logo across them. And at that moment, I realized they went for a much cheesier kid friendly version Slapstick, of this yeah. thing than the previous film, because the, the, the previous film did take itself a lot more serious. It is incredibly dark in many points. And this movie is 
like it's everything is the middle of the day, bright as can be, and nothing about it is scary at all because everything is so bright. And I was like, it kind of took me out of the movie because I'm like, it doesn't feel like something that you would see underground in New York City. Like they're he they literally went down underground into this mall, but it's this bright, cheery thing, and they have this, you know. Fairly ridiculous fight. Which- well, let's, put a, let's put a quick pin in it because I think what you bring up about it being so different tonally, and we knew this when we were talking about it last week, is is a really funny and interesting change. And so, you know, for my part, like I said, I I try to when Mike's doing notes, go and find some extra fun facts and things. And so I figured I'd like fill in some like questions that we had last time since you bring that up, um, and. Is really interesting. So, I mean, you know, we we brought up, first of all, that this movie comes out like almost a year to date from the last one. So they banged this out fast because it was like this movie wasn't necessarily set up to be like, we're immediately going to do a sequel. They basically were like, all right, this first movie was a success. We're going to do a sequel. So they put this together fast okay before the costumes decay you gotta exactly, get those guys yeah, back in yeah, right. yeah. Right. yeah all those jim henson uh costumes which by the way another fun fact the film is dedicated to him, dedicated I to him. this is one of only two films dedicated to jim henson the other one is muppet christmas carol yeah, i was gonna say yeah it was <laughs> wow, muppet christmas carol um but you know we had a lot of questions about like the turnover of people in this and so it's really funny a lot of the changes that came to this movie out of people's either disliking the violence of the first film or disliking the now more light cartoonish slapstick kind of feel of this one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we'll talk more about some of them as we go on, but I felt I'd throw a few in there that I just thought were, were interesting. So first of all, you know, we talked about some of the changeover in, in different characters. So, I mean, you might as well start with, um, yeah. yeah, April O'Neil. Right. So, you know, Judith Hogue, um, we had a question on why she didn't um, come back and why she changed out. So she apparently was not offered the role to come back. Really? And the speculation on her part of why this is that she apparently complained and complained often to the producers of the first film while they were producing it. First of all, about they did a lot of apparently like really lengthy, like six day in a row shoots and things like that. But she was not a fan of the violence. And this is a theme that we're going to see repeating and repeating and repeating with the first sure. film, which is interesting because, you know, again, the Eastman and Laird Ninja Turtles is definitely more dark, more, yeah. more of like a serious tone. And I think that first movie came closer to portraying that. But, you know, especially at that period of time, that's questionable for a kid's movie. You know what I right. mean? Especially because you're taking into consideration what the cartoon was that was out at that time and things like that. Obviously a lot more light and jovial and things like that. So she was not big on the the violence, so she basically kind of didn't get asked back, you know, in because her estimation, because wow. she complained frequently about it to the producer. So that's one interesting one. Um, another related but unrelated, and I just thought I'd bring it up because I, I'm going to talk a little bit about Donatello. Um, fun fact, and maybe we did mention this for the first Corey time. Feldman. Well, so Corey Feldman, but Ernie Reyes Jr., who's Kino in this, was Donatello. In the first movie, he, yeah, he played was the stunt the, double for He was it. in the costume, yeah. yeah. So so he's out of the costume in this one. So I thought that was a kind of a fun and interesting change. That's Corey cool. Feldman 
did not make it back for Donatello's voice. And I don't know if you guys will agree on this uh, or not. I think it's a big detriment that he was Huge. not there. Oh my God. Uh, it, Donnie's voice um, is a voice actor. I wrote it down. <laughs> Where is it? Um, crap. <laughs> First edit. <laughs> so uh, the, the new guy that's voicing him is a guy named Adam Carl. And I just don't think he did at all as good a job. And I, no. you know, I, I don't know that Corey felt, I mean, you pointed it out. So I don't know that it was like, Oh my God, guys, that's Corey Feldman's voice or whatever. But just like, the the presence of his voice was so much better. So he's back in the third movie mm-hmm. as as the voice again, which I think is a, a great thing that they got him. But he was out because he had a lot of bad publicity going on with personal stuff in his life at the time. So so that kind story's of story's gone around and around and around a few times for him. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. So I mean, again, I just thought that was an interesting thing. Um, another person who, again, uh, as we mentioned, unfortunately passed away at this point. Um, uh, but his his group was still connected to it. Is Jim Henson did not like the violence in the first film. Um, he simultaneously claimed that the turtles were probably the most impressive thing that him and his group had put together to that point. But he was really unhappy with how violent and dark the first film is. So th- I thought that's kind of funny because basically the Henson company stuck around for the second movie, did not stick around for the third movie, which I think is also incredibly visible in the third movie. Mm. I think those third movie characters are, are way weirder and creepier. <laughs> they don't have the warmth for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you keep mentioning that because I had a thought and I'll bring it up in a little while, but the other thing that I thought was also visibly noticeable is the absence of Casey Jones. Yes. Yeah, so he was next on my list here. So Casey Jones, another one missing because uh, uh, supposedly Parents at the time found him to be um, scary, scary with the hockey mask. But also they didn't like the influence that he was using everyday like sports equipment for weaponry. They were afraid that children would mimic that, that they would take baseball bats or hockey sticks and things and start fighting each other. Right. And I can remember like playing with my friends in the yard and being like, I'm Casey Jones. I got a baseball bat like running around in the yard. So, like, I can kind of see where that's coming from. Like, you know, mothers or whatever looking out the window and being like, our kids are chasing each other with sports equipment right now. But I want to again back in the third movie. Yeah. I want to also mention if you noticed, other than Donatello, none of the other turtles use their weapons at all. That's my next point. So, (laughs) the next one I was going to bring up is, yeah, that they the weaponry in this is way toned down. Like, you see them on occasion, but by and large, they're not using them in fights as much, or there's weird substitutes. So, for example, the the scene coming up here in this fight that we're discussing, where Michelangelo pulls out his um, sausage nunchucks. Now, again, another violence interesting note. In the UK, this scene was censored. The UK was so against the level of violence coming from these movies that they had censored a ton of content in the cartoon, let alone in the movie. They actually pulled this out. So this scene with the sausage nunchucks doesn't exist in the UK because they were like so thrown off by by the violence. Another fun fact in the UK, they're not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They are the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Because they thought the word ninja actually was too violent. <laughs> so like major wow. level of, of censorship going on um, in the UK. And funny thing with that is that nobody in the UK, unless they saw a US version, 
saw the meat nunchucks, if you will, <laughs> until the 2002 DVD re-release of it in, in the UK. You know what I mean? Uh, so my final point, again, these are characters that we're going to bring up in much more depth later, but I just wanted to answer that question that we had lingering after the last one. Where are Bebop and Rocksteady? Why do we have Toka and Razzar? Um, so this was, again, another just weird change. And this is the one that goes in the opposite direction. Um, they were left out because Eastman and Laird did not like that this, the producers in the studio was going with a lighter and goofier tone. And they, even though the, these two characters, Bebop and Rocksteady, were created for the cartoon to be like that goofy kind of, you know, sidekick bumbling character, they thought that it would just put this movie too over the top and too far away from the first one. So they essentially denied them the permission and the likeness to use these. Wow. That said, the studio knew that people would be clamoring for characters like that. So they just pushed ahead and created the two new mutants that we ended up with, which is Toka and Rassar. So I don't know. That struck me as so odd because like, I can see where, where they're coming from Eastman and Laird, but at the same time, like everything kind of in my mind ended up like worse off because of it. You know what I mean? So weird, weird choices based on the tone change of this film. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pete, uh, I was thinking that I, I, as I watched the credits, I saw licensed for by like Cypher Industries licensed, you know, like time limited license. I was like, oh, there's a lot of licensing going on. And I that and that point right there is exactly what what it was. It's like, we're going to go get our own licensing company and say, you can't have these guys in this movie. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, just to jump back to like the comic talk for a minute, like in researching all this stuff, what I've really come to discover is that Eastman and Laird made a ton of movie movie, ton of money off the Ninja Turtles, but not in the way they wanted to. It's like such a departure from what they felt the characters were and should have been that the cartoon and the toys and the movies, the way that they went that like much lighter tone over time is like not what they wanted these characters to be. So it's like really kind of an interesting thing long-term that it's such, such a departure from what they were intending I, with this. I wonder if that's why they're doing the last Ronin now, because they're the ones writing last Ronin, which is a much darker, violent, gritty world. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm happy to see them back together. You know, like one of the things, um, and again, you, anybody who's listened to this show for a while knows that I'm a big proponent of the toys that made us. And one of the episodes was about the Ninja Turtle toy line. And one of the things I learned from that a while back is that the two of them had sort of like broken up, um, that they had kind of gone separate ways with disagreements and things. So I'm actually happy to hear that they're back together and, and working together on this again, because they had kind of really gone their separate ways. And I'd hate to think that it's like some of the, change in tone and sort of how this whole thing went that actually maybe put them at odds, you know? It's very possible. Who knows? So, getting back to this... Yes, sorry. Choo-choo, Darrell! <laughs> <laughs> no worries. But this particular fight sequence was so... It just was... It didn't feel fun. Like, it was just cheesy. And I might have thought it was fun at 10, 11 years old or whatever, but now I just was watching it. It just didn't feel natural. It didn't feel like they were good martial artists either. And then all of a sudden, like they're there. Ernie turns around or gets out of the trash can and then they're all tied up and dangling. And I'm just like, <laughs> it just, it didn't set a good tone for me to go into this movie. And 
it perpetually felt like it went down from there as it went on. Yeah, I'll agree. I mean, it, it, it's it sets a bunch of weird precedents right off the the beginning because they do you know create this new character in Kino, and I think Kino is meant to be your child slash teenagers entry into this you know like you can see yourself in him like mm-hmm. oh go i want to be that guy going off and having like an adventure with the turtles but he's like already proven himself to be like a valuable like martial arts asset and like they're just like oh let me stick you in a trash can and then despite all his like martial arts prowess that we see throughout this movie he couldn't get out of a trash can i mean like yeah, it, yeah it's 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 very silly and like sort of as you say it completely changes the dynamic of them like you know, the first movie, they're like trying to like very seriously, you know, take their martial arts training to heart and everything like that. In this, it's just like it's just slapstick. It's just like Donnie's beating up the guy with like a squeaky toy. And like, you know, like I think, Luke, you had mentioned that he's like he's like doing like the inflatable, like bouncing back and forth thing. And it's like, you know, like Michelangelo is like beating them up with like a um, a yo-yo. And it's like what's ironic is that they made all these changes to like get away from the weapons. Cause Oh, that's violent and everything. But like, what do kids have access to? Do they have access to katanas or do they have access to a yo-yo? Which right, one right. are they going to be able to go home and imitate? You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's like a bizarre choice that they went with some of these like silly things like that. You know, you know how many times I yo-yoed my friends. After the <laughs> yeah. movie? I yo-yoed them all the time. I'm, I was just whipping it around and they were whipping <laughs> me in the head and we're like, yeah, we're ninja turtles. <laughs> I used you know? to use a yo-yo as a Batman grappling hook. I see if I could whip nice. it around a pole and, and, <laughs> and pull it. But, you know, the other thing that I thought was interesting, and this actually fast forwards to the credits, when they're showing all the, the stunts, it literally says, stunt double for Ernie Reyes Jr. himself. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he did all of his own stunts. Nobody else did, but he did all of his own. That feels like an unnecessary credit in that case. <laughs> that was pretty hilarious. So, double for himself. so then we get and we finally meet the new April O'Neil. And you could tell right off the bat the vibe was different. The energy was different. Her portrayal was different, which is obviously would, would happen when somebody gets recasted. But I just didn't feel that she had the same chemistry with the with the turtles as Judith Hogue did. Like it just I didn't it just feel like they didn't gel a little bit. And we're inside of her apartment, which I can't tell if it's six months after the first <laughs> one, a couple of weeks or whatever, but it's a brand new apartment, which is fine, but it's perfectly without any issue. And they just had ninjas in it, destroying the place. in The last movie too. It's sort of like, yeah, I don't I get, I get the impression like timeline wise. And again, like this is dopey comic booky cartoony thinking. So like, you know, you could kind of do whatever you want, but if you, if you take key factors like shredder being alive and coming back and things like that, you have to assume that this is pretty close after yeah. the end of it's the gotta be a couple season. weeks yeah. at, at, the, at the most yeah. yeah I don't know I mean April's such a question mark for me in this movie I think I, I don't 100% know what their thought was in going into writing this one and again I know that they're cranking this thing out to get it out really quick and everything April just has nothing to do in this you know yeah. and like they gave her nothing to do in this movie yeah There's I mean nothing. like her character in the first one definitely seems a little bit more with it and everything like that like 
I'm, and I'm not saying this is on the, the actress in this film, but you know, like one of the first times that we see her even doing her reporting thing again, which like end of the last movie, the guy's like, I need you back. You're like the top reporter now and everything. Like the first time we see her doing like reporting in this one, like she like doesn't have like the interviewee ready to interview. Mm-hmm. And she's like, can I have some follow-up questions with you? And when he turns her down, like the other guy's like, Oh, what were you going to ask him? And she's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? And like, she goes to like the cop later in the movie and he's like, well, what do you want me to do about this? And she's like, I don't know. And like, it's like everything that she says and does in this movie is pointless. Like, like yeah. she doesn't even know herself what her own she, reasoning she does, or motivation for things are. You know? She literally does nothing to move the plot along other than bring us to the chemical plant where we, you know, see the the weird giant dandelions later on that's the only reason and but it could have been any anybody that was there that but it just happened to be her on the news and the turtles are watching it now the thing about april is if you think of her in the comics or at least even in the cartoon show she's this world's lois lane like she is the biggest news reporter in the world you know like she is she's it and and they gave her nothing to do they gave her pointless dialogue they, you know, she's barely in the movie, which is fine. Who cares? You know, it's a kid's movie. They don't want to see, you know, a middle-aged woman in the movie. They want to see the kid, the turtles do backflips, whatever. But I don't know. I just felt like there was just, you could have almost taken her out of the movie and it would have made no difference. Yeah. I mean, you can't have Ninja Turtles in my mind without, without April O'Neil. It just doesn't work. It's like Superman without Lois Lane. It's like, it just doesn't work. You need that sort of back and forth between the characters, but I just wish they had come up with, I don't know, anything better for her to do. You know, like she's like an investigative journalist reporter, like have her figuring out some of the stuff with like the, um, uh, TCRI and then, you know, things like that, you know, I I don't know, just, just anything else, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just like picking up old laundry from the turtles and going like, Oh, (laughs) that's Mikey's. Oh, like turn, like, Guys, don't you ever clean up around yeah. here? Right. Can I get you a sandwich? You know, like it was it was very stereotypical. Yes. <laughs> portrayal of a woman who's taking care of teenagers. Like you're the mom, like soccer mom. Personality. Yeah, exactly. She felt like, you know, a babysitter for them, essentially. And again, or, or like, I, like I said, I didn't get back to watch the third movie, but I feel like she has more to do in the third movie. You know what I mean? So like. I don't we'll know. Get there. I, yeah, well, well, maybe I don't think I was actually looking forward um, into our movies that we'll touch on list. And I actually think we we don't land on it next year. I think something else comes up as the number one slot. So oh, okay. this might be our, our whole turtle turtles uh, retrospective. But I don't know. Maybe if, if there's um fan um, requests, we'll come back and, and look yeah. at three next year. <laughs> so now we get to the point where we get the return of Shredder and we see his hand come out of the garbage in some dump in I uh, <laughs> only could assume Staten Island, but you know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and he returns like how he could figure out exactly where their new lair is. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many questions about this character and, and, and him coming back. And it's just like, you know, again, like in my research, it turns out that they really did not want to bring this character back. They wanted to move on. Um, as a matter of fact, they were talking about doing Baxter Stockman, um, which I think would have been fun. But basically, they didn't have the technology to do the Mousers at that point in time. So they're like, how do we do Baxter Stockman um, without the Mousers? 
So A, they just reverted back to Shredder. Um, but then B, um, David Warner, um, Professor Perry that we have in this film mm-hmm. is supposed to essentially be like the Baxter Stockman type of character. You know it, what I mean? It so seemed like, like it. So yeah, so like I think like I think they probably did some writing changes as they they went through, and I'll I'll bring up some more of that when we get later on and, and meet him and everything. But I just don't understand, like you know, with that professor, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Why they wouldn't have just called him Baxter Stockman because it could have led to a third. There's film. reasons, and I'll I'll bring it up. But okay. and again, outside of like again, like doing literally Baxter Stockman with the Mousers or turning him into a fly and things like that, you know, but question marks about shredder i mean like we said it last episode a how does he escape getting crushed in that in that you know garbage truck but if you can even let that go by again like assuming again your question what is the timeline and we ask this a lot in in this show what is the timeline of this you know like how long does he survive in a pile of trash after being somewhat grievously injured you know falling off an entire building yeah. possibly getting crushed in this thing without also like having food or anything you know i mean this guy is like already superhuman and then my my third question that i really started thinking about as i was watching this and you'll you'll ask me if i'm if i'm crazy or whatever when i say this the end of that first film is this guy gets thrown off the thing there's these police all come pouring into the scene this guy that's the leader of this prime ring just got killed in this truck and the police left his body in the trash right <laughs> like they didn't like take him out and like take him to the morgue or they just like were, like no autopsy ah, well. it. this is new york in the 90s throw him in the garbage <laughs> like <laughs> send him down the river send him to staten island <laughs> it's the east river for him or nothing else i mean see like, ya what is the return? Him, him and Vinnie Boobots and Joey Bag of Donuts are gonna be in the East River later. Don't be don't worry about it. And then I Answers forget his about it. I forget his sidekick's name, but like that that other guy that's like super Tatsu? badass. Tatsu, thank you. And like he's like beating up on all the guys. He has anger management issues. He's like, I'm challenging, you know, whoever wants to challenge me, I'm the, the like master now. That guy, more than anybody else, even more than half the foot soldiers in this movie, just gets housed every time every. he gets into a fight. <laughs> but even, even so, he gets housed in the first movie, too, because he has a fight in the first movie with Casey Jones, and Casey Jones defeats this guy with a golf club. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> this guy is a master ninja. He could have killed Casey Jones in a hundred different ways. And this guy gets clubbed in the face, and that's it. And, you know, this is one of the problems that I have with this film, is it feels a little racist. And I'll tell you why. Like, the martial arts in the film doesn't feel very well put together. Uh, Like, you know, Tatsu is kind of a pathetic character in this film. It just doesn't seem tonally appropriate like it was slapstick and silly but even the voice of splinter and the voice of shredder it feels like a very americanized forced version of what we would think a japanese accent would sound like and that kind of took me out of the movie a little bit yeah i mean if you start going into that route i mean i don't know i'm going to call it overtly racist but like there's like the cultural appropriation things that that you spot in this through the 2021 prism you know like the 
the over the top accents, you know, like there's a point in time where there's a couple of the turtles like doing accents. Like one of them does like this really over the top Italian accent. Then like, I think Donnie or somebody does like a, you know, like vaguely Asian accent and things like that. So, I mean, there's definitely like bits of that in there, but again, it's, it's the sort of thing you trope up to how this stuff would have just been right and accepted in the nineties. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I, I think that comes with, the whole ninja shtick, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, whatever, whoever's take is on that. I think my more sad thing about this is, is going the same route as the April thing. April has nothing to do. And you have this guy, and I can't think of his name in real life, who plays Tatsu, who is like, he's like a decorated martial artist. Like he's, I, I, I saw something that he um, originated like a um, whole sword combat um style that's like really like a big deal in japan wow and then like he's not even used like he doesn't do martial arts he just gets like squished between their shells or hit by a golf club or you know like he he operates an excavator in this movie he he pulls a lever to to catch the turtles in a tent and a net i was like fun jump back to the uh the first movie with him where he did have something to do is you know he gets that one scene where he's like really angry and he like really beats down that one foot soldier in the original um, script and the way that that shot or that scene was shot and everything, he actually like kills that guy. And then because they were worried about like the tone and everything in post, they added like the guy like breathing and making noise, so you knew he was still alive. So he didn't like outright murder <laughs> this guy, wow. you know, for you know for kids. <laughs> right, <laughs> guys. Yeah. So, but yeah, fun so, fact about tattoo. <laughs> so you know, Shredder returns, and now he's like making his own helmet because he appears in the doorway of this, you know, <laughs> landfill, I guess, and happens to figure out where the Foot Clan's new base of yeah. operations is. I'm actually curious if it's at that landfill. Because <laughs> like he went from, like, two- one landfill to basically, like, another junkyard. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, if he just I happened to, like, overhear them talking and was like, hey, I'm outside, guys, I'm coming <laughs> in. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Or like that he got kicked into the trash and like their like uh, thing was like our master died in the trash. We must move to the trash place where they would have taken him. In memorial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we the greatest of shredders. We, we shall be surrounded by metal. Room yet, so we must go to the trash yard. <laughs> so one of the Foot Clan, as he appears, says, your face. But his face is in shadow. And then you never get a full shot of his face in the whole movie. Well, even of, the little glimpses you do get, he just has like little like cuts little on his face, little abrasions. It's not like it's not like holy cow, that guy's smushed in half. You know, what I mean, like, yeah. but like he doesn't even have like a leg splinted from being crushed. Like, yeah. just, I'm like, I am fully operational except yeah, for my face. He's pretty good <laughs> to like the point where he's like able to like be doing like metal working. Right. <laughs> I feel good, guys. Hold on, I I'll just hold this you know sharp. Like kitchen knife, sharp helmet, and just like, and, he's, and I love that. He's, he's like, you know what went wrong with the first movie? You know why I lost to the Ninja Turtles and Splinter? My helmet didn't look quite enough like a buzzsaw. Right, <laughs> but I wonder if that was the a sign of the times because one of the things that I talk about in the podcast uh, for Wizards all the time is in this time period, everybody had massive spikes and like razor sharp things all over their body in the comics. And I wonder if they're like, we need to make this helmet look more menacing. We're going to have him wield it himself and and make this giant, you know, shark fin style. I don't know, but it, yeah. it just, 
it's kind of distracting at the same time. Well, it, it is. And it's funny because like, it's, it's kind of a cool iconic helmet. You know what I mean? Like you've seen samurai helmets and things all throughout time. But like, if you saw that helmet, you'd instantly be like, Oh, that's shredders helmet. You know what I right. mean? But either one, either the, the jagged one or the, the straight edged one, I typically prefer the straight edged one. Me too. And what I would say is I feel like that's more making sense to who the character is. You know what I mean? You don't see like a lot of like katanas with like notched back edges. Mm-hmm. Like when I see that, I either think of a, like I said, a buzzsaw or like B one of those like army boot knives with like the, the serrated sort of edge on the back of it or whatever. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it is like an interesting stylistic choice for him to go with that. But the weird part I felt like is like, that's like the only kind of upgrade he makes to his outfit. It's not like he makes like bigger, sharper claws on his hands or arms or things like that. So I don't know, just as you say, it, it might've reflected something going on at the time, but it just seemed like an odd choice to me. Well, the, the, the spikes in his arms, they almost look smaller than the first movie. They're yeah. like very, very, and at times when you see him move, you see that they're like, you know, some sort of foam rubber because they just, the <laughs> blades kind of move a little bit. And I'm like, that's not real. <laughs> Again, as a 10 year old kid, I'd be like, Oh, it's the shredder. As yes. an adult, I'm like, this looks really <laughs> low budget. Like this is, this is like, I wonder if they just didn't have, what was the budget for this movie again? Do you remember? I think 25 million. Oh, wow. And, and so, you know, we have the shredder has returned. Hooray. Hurrah. You know, he's here. Um, and then we have this, the thing with that, uh, TGRI, which they constantly keep throwing the name TGRI out in the movie a million times. And they're like, Oh, there's nothing going on at this facility. Everything is normal. But then they find these giant dandelions, <laughs> but they look so fake. I'm yeah. like, Oh my God. This well, is it also really so cracks bad. me up too that like out of everything that's around them in that scene, first of all, that they would if they're anticipating things like that, would invite news crews there. Right. But forgetting that for a second, that like the dandelions were the thing that mutated, like that not like all of like the grass and stuff around it is like supersized or whatever, you know. I mean, like seems like a weird and why isn't it like a like a like a biting dandelion or something right. that if it like mutated weird you know it's just like it just got big you know? yeah it's just big it's just like a, a weird looking almost sunflower-esque yes, dandelion. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> i always wanted to pick it like i always wanted to as the prop i wanted to like take it home with me it's like oh that's awesome man <laughs> again to beat one of my friends with and i think one of my favorite visuals too is then that guy that's like april's brand new assistant who turns out to be like one of the foot clan guys mm-hmm. like takes it with him and brings it to Shredder, and Shredder's like walking around with it. Like one of my favorite images in the whole movie is like this like menacing guy just carrying around this dandelion. <laughs> I need more of these. And he's like, this is great. I need, I need this stuff. <laughs> Where do you get this? I went from being like a really like dedicated like crime ring leader to being obsessed about like mutating some stuff. <laughs> Plant that in the back garden. Next. Yes, I, yeah, I yeah, am yeah. a horticulturist <laughs> now. <laughs> put it put it with the sunflower seeds. It'll be yeah. great. Keep it away from the basil though. Yeah. No basil. <laughs> <laughs> so now we go to uh Dr. Perry's lab. Yes. And I all I could think of with this lab was this was the most cliche, stereotypical, cheesy-looking lab I've ever seen. It felt like 
a knockoff version of the Batman 66 Batcave. Like they were like, hey, we get some leftover Batman 66 computers over here. Wheel those suckers in. We'll spray them all gray and it'll look great. I'll tell you what it reminded me of. And I might be off on this because I I started watching it and I just DNF'd it. Could not finish. Um, And our friend Steven hopefully will appreciate this. Is It it reminded me of like the uh, Roger Corman Fantastic Four. Oh, it's very much like that. Yes, it is very. Just like cardboard walls and like lights blinking on it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you guys scoped it, but like when they were the turtles were going across the roof and they had the TGRI sign, it looked just like TGRIF, and I was like, oh my god, did they like <laughs> take that from that movie and then make the franchise from this movie? Like, yeah, it's right. Like, it's very like, possible. It's well, so let's talk close. TGRI for a minute because I, I mentioned I would bring this back up when we got to it, and this might answer yet another Krang related question for for you guys that we were talking about last time. So. Again, I'm not somebody who went back and read the comics, but again, this came up in sort of looking at through everything this. So TGRI in this movie is Techno Global Research Industries, all right? So that's that's kind of what they did with this. In the comics and in other related cartoon, et cetera, media, it's TCRI, Techno Cosmic Research Institute, okay? Now, not a big change in difference from cl- from global to cosmic, you know, in this sense. Except the fact that with the cosmic, would have, you'd have... Krang and the and the the Titanodrome and all those other things coming from another Correct. Earth or another world. So there's speculation, which is um, brought up by Laird, that um, in the earlier versions of this film, as I mentioned, that the villains were probably going to be closer to a Baxter Stockman, and they were going to possibly feature the Utroms, which are the alien species, which the secret of the ooze is that it was created by this alien species. So there's there's a lot of speculation, nothing that's ever been 100% confirmed, that the original working title of this being Secret of the Ooze, that you were going to find out that the secret of the Ooze was that it was, in fact, aliens, and that at the end of the film, you were going to see Dr. Perry lift up his shirt and see an Utrom, possibly Krang, under his shirt. Um, and this is something that Laird actually said that um, was a scene that supposedly he had heard was filmed, but just didn't ever end up make it in the final version of this film. So it sounds like there was like some real changes to this story. Now, again, who knows? It, it could be that the story we got is exactly as was written. And this is just fun fan speculation that Laird got involved in. Or it could be that because they would have been you know, tied in with some of the original work on this, that there was that version of the film that just got changed for reasons. Um, I got a new Trump behind me there. <laughs> there may be a third reason. And I, my, my theory is they realized how bad the puppeteering and, and things were for Toka and Razar yeah. that they're like, yeah, this brain inside of somebody's stomach, it ain't going to look good. <laughs> That's possible. That's totally possible. Although that would have probably been like one of those, like, Four long, second long shots that, like at the end of the movie, just to set you up for the uh, the, the inevitable the third, third one, movie, you know? right? So I don't know. We'll we'll never see the film that we didn't get, I guess. Although, didn't they bring Krang in on like the um, the remakes that um, yes, Michael Bay did? Yes, he is in the first one. Yeah, I felt like I I vaguely, I mean, I saw those movies and they just floated straight back out of my head. Yeah, so they- I I vaguely remember something with that, but I, yeah. <laughs> so. The Foot Clan in this movie is 
very silly and <laughs> and they just don't like they don't have that presence that they had in the first movie they're just they're only in costume maybe two scenes in the whole film and i just they don't they don't do it for me and then there's a line that tatsu says in the you know the lab where he smashes the smoke and he goes ninja vanish <laughs> and i forgot about that line until that movie and i was like i used to say that all the time <laughs> i used to do that all the time with that ping pong ball in his hand yes. ninja vanish it's like yeah. that's not the point you don't bring attention to yourself when you're gonna vanish you know right. just go, hey guys, look over here hey Ooh. we I'm were vanished. here now we're going somewhere else he might as well have had it like a top hat on him and like turtles now i demonstrate the ninja yeah. vanish here I mean, you go. Three. You're so right. And it's like, it's funny, like, the tone of this movie, like, when you get over the fact that you're not in, like, that serious realm anymore and has definitely entered the realm of cartooniness, you, you say it so perfectly. The Foot Clan is so silly in this movie. And really, it's even those guys that they're fighting in the beginning. And you have this in every movie where there's, like, martial arts, I feel like, where if you look around in the background, there's guys that are just, like, swinging their arms around and moving back and forth and, like, waiting for their Everybody turn to get into the fight. If you, like, watch those scenes, like, that scene in particular when they're fighting in that lab, there's, like, extras that are just, like, up on top of computers that are just, like, winging their arms around, even though they're, like, 30 feet behind. They're just, like, standing there, like, winging their arms around. <laughs> it is, like, one of the most egregious examples in any movie ever mm-hmm. of the background martial arts extras just like doing beyond nothing. You know what I mean? It's crazy. To the point that there's several fights in this, like first fight, this fight, like in this fight alone, there's a moment where like the turtles are like huddle and like, they like stop and like have a conversation about what they're going to do. And I'm like, why wouldn't the foot clan people just be like pummeling on them while they're doing that? Well, well they do pummel Michelangelo at one point later and then he gets out from under them and they're still pummeling. But they're, but they're pummeling nothing. nothing. Yeah, like that old cartoon trope where, like, the Bugs Bunny thing where he's outside and, like, the cloud of smoke is is piling up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just, again, as a kid, I thought it was probably cool. As an adult, I'm like, oh, boy. And, no, and it's true. You know, I, I can't remember as a kid which of the movies I like better, but I could see myself as, like, an eight or nine-year-old, whatever I was at this point in time, like, probably being like, this is like the cartoon, this is great, you know what I mean? Right. Right. And, and, and I actually said that when I did the review for the first movie, and I was like, I, I remember liking the second one better, because you got Vanilla Ice in the movie coming <laughs> later, and all that stuff. It just, right. But now watching it, I'm like, the first one is definitely better. And there's a lot of, like, really cheesy, shoehorned one-liners in this movie oh my that, yeah. that are just... <laughs> I don't know who they were going for for laughs. Who thought that that was a funny line to 1, write? One thousand percent, kids. What are you talking about? Like, as as eight year olds, we were all running around doing all the goofy lines. <laughs> like, like what eight year old in nineteen ninety one knows who Humphrey Bogart is? And yet, I can remember my brother and I walking around like, "You dirty rat!" You know, I mean, like, like doing yeah. like with no like other like reference to it other than we thought that Michelangelo was funny when he said that line. You know what I mean? Right. Like. It's it's one thousand percent like seven year old, eight year old, nine year old fodder. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, like Donnie comes out and goes eclectic, and everyone yeah. looks at him like <laughs> eclectic. <laughs> like really? So 
but we finally see the tube of ooze. Yes. And it looks like it was carved out of a cylinder of styrofoam <laughs> and and like airbrush painted and and somebody took like a, like a felt marker and wrote TGRI. <laughs> I was like, this is the best prop they can come up with. Like the funniest version of that too is like, again, story-wise, they're just like chucking that thing, kicking that thing throughout the movie. And it's like not breaking, not whatever. Even though the one that like Splinter has is like shattered in half. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? But my other favorite thing about it too is like, you can tell they made that like one prop and then just kept using it throughout because like they they use up like the ooze to like make the Toka and Razar. And then like when you see like Shredder at the end, he still has the thing and is still completely full. So yeah. it's like you can tell it's like just that one prop that they probably made for the whole movie. <laughs> Easily. Easily. Totally. And you know, it's it's kind of funny and, and I keep going back to this, but I was really bothered by the fact that like you can clearly see that the fighting style in this movie is not as good as the first one. Um it just doesn't feel believable and again it's marketed for kids and it's clearly marketed for kids because of the violence of the first one and you know i'm just whatever i'm gonna go with it as that you know i did notice there's a lot of exposition in the film though like there's just like a lot of explaining stuff yeah and and i'm like all right i what like either let's see the turtles do backflips because they do a lot of backflips whenever strip splinters mad at them do 10 backflips <laughs> just like they're just they're just doing these cool ba- like how do you do that that's, a, yeah. that's probably the coolest thing in the movie, i have to actually backflips. say like that's one of like the coolest things i had a thought while i was sitting watching it and i actually said it to Ange. um she was sitting there off to the side working on something else while i was watching it that again like jim all my hats off to jim henson and his crew for creating this stuff but one of the funny things and why even now when I'm 38 years old and going back and watching these films and I could like take a look at it and forget like that I have a lot of fond nostalgia for these characters is that when you sit down and watch this movie, even all these years later, those turtles feel real. Like they yeah. look really real. The way that they move, the way that their faces express and things like that. But like even their muscles, back, when they, when they the flex muscles, their arms. That's what I'm saying. Like when they're doing that backflip, imagine somebody in that clunky of an outfit is able to like run around and do like backflips like that. Right. And that's another one of the reasons why I think Toka and Razar fail in this film. I think they did not do a good job with those two outfits, and we'll get to them when we get to them. But like yeah. they're too clunky; they don't move and emote and work in the way that the turtles do, and therefore yeah. they feel fake, like big goofy costumes. Whereas the turtles feel like you could like reach out and touch them and that they should be alive and, and feasible there. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what's kind of funny about this too is, and it kind of got me thinking about Batman and I'll tell you why. Like one of the biggest complaints that people always made about the Keaton Batman's is he can't turn his head in that costume. Well, the turtles, they can turn their heads. They can do the whole thing. I'm like, what was the style of which they made these costumes that they could do those backflips and, move their arms so freely and, you know, do some sort of fighting styles that was so different and so good, which is really a, a token to its time. Like, it's really quite impressive, if you ask me, because now they just CGI all that stuff. But it was yeah. pretty cool they could do that back then, you know? 
No, for sure. And I know that's like a leap off of what you said, but yeah. I, I just, it made me think of it when you mentioned that them doing those backflips, because they do that a bunch of times. And I was like, that's amazing. Amazing. Those guys in yeah. those costumes could like have that level of, of flexibility and movement. So, so now you mentioned uh, Toka and Razar. And one of the things that split that Shredder says is get me the most violent animals you can possibly find. And so they get essentially a wolf and a snapping turtle. And I'm like, we're in New York. We've got the Bronx zoo, (laughs) the Manhattan zoo, the Brooklyn zoo, like central park. Go go get a lion. (laughs) Go get a lion. (laughs) You got alligators, you got bears. Come on, mutate a bear for God's sakes. I mean, I'll say one thing. I mean, like the wolf. All right, wolves are dangerous, but I feel like wolves are dangerous in a pack. I will tell you from having grown up where I was and living nearby where there was some swampland, snapping turtles are nasty little bastards. So I actually completely agree with the idea that a, a snapping turtle is is awful. Like, you know, like there was a few times that those things would come up into our yards and you had to be like very careful, like try and like use a shovel to remove them because they would like break your bones if they got a hold of you. So yes, snapping turtles are not to be messed with. <laughs> I will, I will keep that under advisement. Though. Yes. And like, you know, like in, in fairness, like, cause you know, we were just were mentioning like, you know, what do they look like? How do those characters look like and function? And I'm getting a little ahead of it because they, you know, we don't see them for a little bit yet in the film. But of the two, and I don't remember which one is Toka and which one is Razar, but the snapping turtle of the two is for me the better one. Like he is almost more believable, especially because you have like the look of the turtles. I yeah. think they had the look of him a little bit more down. The wolf is just God awful. Like his oh, face... So- you know, like that, like just like plastered on goofy, like, like grinning like, face with these like enormous over the top eyes. And again, like the turtles have big eyes too and everything. Yeah, yeah. Can they do a great impression? <laughs> I, mean, I should just recap that and try. <laughs> but like, he just looks so bad. Like, it's just. And they can't close their mouth. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Oh. Oh. Just sucking air all the time. <laughs> just like, it makes me question how. And maybe it's rude to say this, but is it that fact that Jim Henson had died by this point and it's just his people working on it afterwards? They Like, how did they come up with this? It just doesn't look good. It felt like they took the banana guy and they put like, <laughs> all right, let's put these two googly eyes on that guy. That's scary. Put some more fangs. All right, we're good. I think <laughs> it's, a, it's a sentiment to the fact that, like we've said, this came out almost a year to the day and they probably originally were going to try to use Bebop and Rocksteady yeah. and couldn't use them. And they had to rush out some sort of costumes and they're like, well, let's throw them together and it's see what sticks. Awful. I mean, like one of the things that I saw in, in kind of looking this up and I, I had vaguely had a recollection of it is that they did bring Toka and Razar into the cartoons at a point. Yeah. Um, and their designs there even look, a little better in, you know, which you can obviously get away with in, in drawing it. But then another thing that I saw, and this is certainly out of my wheelhouse. So like when I saw this in the past few days is the first time I ever saw this, that in future comics work, they brought these characters in at different points and there, some of the newer designs on them in the newer comics, they look really cool, really intimidating. Hmm. And I was like, if they could have done half of what they did to make them look like that, 
when they did these versions in the thing, I think it would have been so much better. But as it stands, like particularly that dopey wolf, I don't remember which one is which. I guess he maybe is. Toka, I think I, I think Razor. he's Razar. I think he's Razar. Razar. Yeah. He's yeah. just so awful. He just like like honest to goodness. If I had to point at the one thing I hate the most about this entire movie, it's that A to Z. It's that character. Yeah. Like I'll even take Toka as he is. Like he's fine. At least he can close his mouth. He's more believable. Uh, his feet look a little goofy, like especially like when he's like dangling later on in the movie and they're in the sewer yeah. with him. Like his feet feel really goofy. You know what I mean? He doesn't feel like he has that like sense of movement that the other turtles do, which I think they like. It, ironically, I think they write that into this story because like Shredder like expects them to be able to like do martial arts like right out the gate, which doesn't really make any sense. And even somebody in the movies like they're babies. Like how are they going to know how to do this stuff? But they just don't have that movement. And I think because they don't have that ability to do that movement with those two costumes is why they went with the angle of like, oh, well, they're just like really strong and they can just kind of throw people around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's why that's the way it is in the movie. Because they oh, just couldn't do anything else with those characters. They don't have the ability to move and fight and do stuff like the Turtles right. did. And that's a problem. They should have come out with characters, whatever animal they decided to go with, that could have had costumes that worked like the Turtles did. So they could have legitimately had fight you know martial arts yes yeah well one point to that is that um shredder himself like actually talks about them after he's oh they're babies i've noticed like three times he's like these stupid animals these stupid (laughs) stupid he just says stupid like just straight up stupid and it's like it's kind of like the the set designers going like this is stupid this is not gonna work (laughs) and like the, the the screenwriter's like no, that's what it'll say. That's what it'll say. Because it felt like they were just going like, stupid. stupid. Yeah, well, I mean, the Shredder in this movie is so much more like the cartoon Shredder, you know, like where he's like, I need to die to turtle soup and blast. And, you know, he's just like, he's just way more over the top, you know, in this one. He's lost that, like, you know, really dark, amazing martial artist that can single-handedly beat all the turtles. For if he life. had said turtle soup in this movie, I would have been, I would have been like, all right, it's it's redeemable there. I mean, he's like, it. he's like Ninja Homer Simpson. You know what I mean? He's just like, yeah. all his plans are coming apart on him. He's just like, don't, you know, like, it's just really silly. Yeah. So that was a big problem. And we get these other sequences later on, which I'll get into in a little bit. But one of the things that I want to touch on and this is something that's been a problem or a little bit of a weird thing is Michelangelo constantly, both in this movie and in the first movie, <laughs> makes these creepy, sexual, flirty jokes to April all the time. And it just doesn't land like she's clearly portraying like their maternal kind of figure. And yet he's always kind of flirting with her and making creepy jokes and comments. And I'm just like, I don't get it like it it doesn't work you know and it's a little annoying well it's funny and i'm glad you brought this up because like again having watched through the first and second movie and again i i know this is 1000 percent a product of its time and and you know i can remember like so many friends i grew up with this time having like bikini women posters up on their wall and all this sort of thing but it is funny like how casey sort of hits on april like way over the top like me too levels of over the top in the first movie and, and really the turtles do too. And they make a lot of comments either to April or just about like, Hey, look at that babe. And it's just like, first of all, like, I mean, you know, and I guess this is like a knock on Ninja Turtles on, on the whole that like, they're like New Yorkers and yet they're like basically Southern Californianers. 
Yeah. It's like, whoa, yeah. dude, look at that. You know, like, like nobody in New York was talking like that. I don't feel like no time, one was like, like or at least until the Ninja Turtles came around and then we were all imitating them. But yeah. You know, there's that, but like, she's like, oh, look at that bodacious babe. And I'm just like, yeah, it, it, it just, it does really feel funny and out of place because it's like, like anthropomorphically, how does that work? You know right, what I right. mean? Like, does April ever have a moment where you're like, you know, I like you guys, you're awesome, but like, get your green horny weirdo ness away from me. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> I can remember there was one episode. And I can remember thinking about this even when I was a kid, that there was an episode in the cartoon where somehow, and I don't remember the, the circumstances, April becomes like a female turtle. And then I was like connecting the dots at the time. I was like, oh, they can finally like be together, you know, or something. And then I think she like becomes human again in the end or whatever. I don't remember this, this scenario. And I know that like in later versions, there's also, even I think in the cartoon, I think they have like um, Venus de Milo is like a, like a sister or girlfriend or whatever of theirs. And there's, um, there's another one. Oh, Mona Lisa, I think is another female turtle that comes in at a point. Yeah. So I was like, I think that kind of answers some of like their turtle, like teenage urges. Shall we say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like Pete, the whole thing was like April from the first movie when she was getting hit on, she was, she was slapping it right back at him. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, go, go in the trash, you trash, you yeah. know, but because she's just like a, a stoic cardboard character in this one, yeah. it, feels like, it feels really creepy because she's just like, Oh, that's my Mikey. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. Wants to crush on me. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Bring more, you know, and yeah. that just makes it even more creepy. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, the turtles now have to go find a new lair and they go find the underground train station, which I've always loved this set and they do a really cool job with it from what I remember in the third movie, how they like dress it up and make it look really neat and stuff. It's like amazing. That. It's so cool. It's so cool. But what I thought was so convenient is they find the breaker to turn the power like immediately. It's like poof, it's on. Oh great, we got power. Look at that. And look at, and they even put it like, wow, we still got power. Oh great. <laughs> no offense, guys, but I mean it's New York City. Where is their spare power just being like just off? Yeah, they wouldn't just off. like leave a, a breaker like that. I mean, like the funny thing about this station to me, and again, this is only something I would think of as an adult having lived in, in New York for like 16 years, is it's a really bizarre station because in one respect they're treating it as like this thing looks like it was abandoned in like the fifties or the sixties. Mm -hmm. Like the, the train car that's there is an old school train car. Oh, that's yeah. not like an eighties or nineties. subway. Like a, it's that's the forties or yeah, 30s. I, I've seen these at the New York um, subway museum there. That's like a legit old, you know, car. But then on the flip side of that, and, you know, they have like the stained glass ceiling, which, by the way, like, how is that stained glass lighting up? Like, is there sunlight somehow getting to that? But I digress. On this, <laughs> on this second tier layer of the sewer, because yes. they're not even just in the sewer. They're beneath yeah, they the fell sewer. underground in the, in the sewer. So it's like way right. down there. So I don't know if that's being backlit by something. Either way, it's super cool. But but then they have like a payphone, like like a, like a 90s style era payphone. And I'm like, well, how did that get there then? If they've got like this like abandoned old thing, you know, and, like, I, need, and I need to point out the payphone because later on. Donatello calls April <laughs> on the payphone and he's walking around with it under yeah. his arm. I'm like, I know he's like, and, and they try to a little bit to establish that Donatello's kind of a scientist or he's the smarter of the turtles and, and 
But like, did he figure out how to do a cell phone? <laughs> yeah. If I could step back just like a few uh, chapters back. Yeah, yeah. He was reading off a list on the CRT going, dispose, dispose, dispose. What does it mean, Donnie? <laughs> what? They disposed of all these things because it says disposed next to the vial. <laughs> and is there any active? It's like comes up in three times spot, like active. And like, is it active, Donnie? Like, oh, all that dialogue was awful. I mean, yeah. that came from somebody who like, again, like not that like a lot of people in 1991 knew much about computers. Like, I don't think I even owned a personal computer at that point yet. But like, you know, like, again, like looking back on that, like, you know, you mentioned that like they had another line where Donatello says, like, if the database is coded, the whole system could go down. Like, that is a completely meaningless statement. If the database is coded. Well, I mean, like, of course, the database is coded. Like, code is how you write a database. And then and then like the whole system could go down and like they type like one thing and like the whole computer just like scrambles itself. Like what if somebody accidentally hit like a wrong button? Like they just like, a, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a whole thing. <laughs> that's, that's like nineties computer speak or any computer speak in any movie. Yeah, it's just like, uh, what's, what's that in, uh, Matthew Broderick, like war games, movies? war games. The super computer and it's just like clickety clackety on the box. Like, yeah. Yes. I'm going <laughs> to, it's just like this Atari game. Unbelievable. But yeah, so they try to establish that Donatello is kind of a scientist, and I'm like, how did he fabricate a, a payphone cordless device? I don't know. Whatever. It just seems. I too told easy. you last time. That's what I love about Donatello is the Gilligan's Island aspect of him. So if he can get that thing, I mean, I don't remember if it had a wire hanging out of it or not. It might have been just knocked off a wall, but he was walking around with it. If he yeah. can get that thing working wirelessly, more power to him. Go, Donatello. Unbelievable. <laughs> so this kind of goes to my other thought, which was, like we said earlier, and just like the stained glass comment, this movie is so bright. Like, the, and not only is it bright, it's very flat. Like, the color palette in this film, other than the turtles' headbands, is very, very flat, and it doesn't feel like there's any depth to anything or any of the texture and and it makes the shredder look so unintimidating and there's like this a couple of scenes where the turtles are fighting in the junkyard and shredder's just kind of like standing on a platform and just everyone's fighting around him he's just standing there in this purple outfit i'm like this doesn't look scary at all i'm like come on well it's funny no i mean think about how much of the first movie was um at night. Yeah. And then think about yeah. how much of this is just during the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? So again, that's straight out of them deciding to go with that more cartoon thing where they were just always like in the daytime and, you know, sort of thing with that. So it's definitely right. It's funny. You bring up the color saturation though, because you would think that they could really kind of crank up some of that. But as you sort of say, there was a lot of times in this movie where I was struggling to figure out which cool. turtle was Donatello and Leo because and which the red and the orange were and, so and yeah. flat. I couldn't tell. There was times they... where it was tough. And I don't know if that was just because like, I don't know if I guess you probably watched it on HBO Max. That's where I yeah, caught it. I did too. Yeah. I don't know if it's just like a weird, you know, transition Inversion. over to that um, and how it's showing up on a, a, you know, newer television versus like a, a old CRT back in the day. But I was struggling at times. I'm like, is that Donatello or Leo there? Or is that Michelangelo and Raph there? I kept not being able to differentiate well between yeah. the, the reds and the oranges and the purples and the blues until they actually spoke. 
Yeah, I actually got the uh, the three DVD pack, so I put in my DVD. Nice. Oh, <laughs> hey yeah, look at that. Hey. Excellent. Few DVDs I have left. In wow. my <laughs> between moves state, all of my DVDs and stuff are all packed away, so I am completely reliant on streaming right now. Yeah. It, it, it did remind me of like the you know every VHS had that like commercial before you could watch the yeah the film. yeah, yeah. And I oh, believe yeah this one was the Pizza Hut. The you know the singing pizza mm-hmm. hut where like the kids got to catch the ball and stuff <laughs> and it gives you like that like but again starting with pizza so tying it all together the kid catches the thing goes to pizza hut, eats pizza then you start the movie everyone's eating pizza every time I watch this movie I was hungry for the film I'm like I I need some pizza mom <laughs> it's like it's twelve o'clock noon I'm not gonna get a pizza at noon and I can do it I can do it. And yeah. it, 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 like every time, and I played like all through the day. So it was like nine o'clock, twelve o'clock, three o'clock. It just it just ran all day long. And she's like, "I'm not getting pizza tonight. We're doing something else. I can't have pizza again." <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's very. True. I understand what you're saying. You see all the cheese in there. They're all every everybody and, eating and, it, and, and they're oh. pulling it, and the cheese is so gooey. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like what? Well, that too. Like especially when you're talking that scene, like they like climbed through like a window with it, with like the box half upside down and everything, and it like still came out perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know the at this movie, one of the other problems with this movie that I had is again. Raphael is in peril of some sort. He disappears. Nobody can find him. He's gone for a good 20 minutes in the movie. And then all of a sudden, he and uh, Ernie Reyes Jr., whose Kino. character, his name is Kino. Nino or Kino. Kino. Kino right. Like the, uh, like the casino game. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so, that together. <laughs> and so, like, they're trying to infiltrate the foot and you know they're gathered at some fence in some sort of you know near a bridge cliche new york thing but this gang of ninjas <laughs> is literally dressed like they are out of the outsiders it's like <laughs> it's like it's like the sharks and the jets showed up all of a sudden and they're like hey you're gonna be ninjas. Yeah. I mean, like what I would say is that in a lot of ways, this movie is like a perfect snapshot of 1991, and the amount of denim that's on display in this movie, denim is and leather so jackets, perfect to the time. Like, like that scene you're describing, where like um, Kino's like gonna get you know inducted into the Foot Clan, he has to go off and do his tests and everything. There's like this one guy that's like walking away. He's got like these big goofy leather or uh, uh, denim pants and a big goofy denim jacket, and he's kind of strutting away with the crowd. And I'm like, oh my god, 1990s just punched me right in the face. <laughs> yes, but yes. it's it's almost as if it's of a bygone era because it's it's a little bit 90s, but it's also a little bit like Saturday Night Fever as well, like out of the 70s. <laughs> I was so confused. I love when the, the main guy comes in. He's like, "All right, guys, if you want to hang with us, you got to pass the test." Yeah. And it's like it's a martial arts test, and like nobody around him looks like they know a lick of martial arts. Right. No, none of them like, look like they would. I mean, it, it's so much more unbelievable from what they had in the first one, where they're just trying to like abscond these kids and, and train them or whatever. Like, all right, guys, you could come in here and basically have like a karate kid fight yeah. tournament. And then they don't fly with each other for a minute. Yeah, whoever's left has to steal bells. I mean, like if if you 
given what we've been talking about, how the Foot Clan functions during the rest of this movie, do you feel any of them were capable of taking at least one bell off of that dummy without making no. a noise, let alone multiple bells? So, so I want to talk about that particular moment, right? <laughs> so uh, Kino whoops the snot out of a bunch of guys, and he's clearly the best fighter. He's clearly probably the only person that knows how to fight in the whole movie. And then they say, oh, your final test is to remove all of these bells off of this dummy without <laughs> making a sound. And we do it under the cover of darkness or something that they say, or like the cloak of night or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And so they like crack a smoke bomb and it's everybody, <laughs> everybody turns away and Raphael comes in and just pulls off all the bells. And I'm like, the test would have been better if they were watching him do it. Yeah. <laughs> How fast he can move it. It's just like, it's like it was so convenient that they're like, the cover of darkness will, will be the answer. I mean, honest to goodness, that whole section is just completely pointless. Like, pointless. like when he's already like beaten everybody else in that fighting tournament, like I'm pretty sure you're good to go. But the yeah. guy's like, oh, one more thing before we can bring you to our secret, not so secret garbage lair. <laughs> like, you got to steal bells. Like, what are you talking about? Why is that important? <laughs> like, why would you care? But here's the thing about that, and I and I wanted to point this out, right? So this goes back to the, the Toka and Razar situation, right? If they can get all those bells off of that dummy so silently, why could they not go to the Bronx Zoo so silently and steal a lion, <laughs> a baby turtle and a baby wolf? You know, like, come on. In the whole first movie, they're robbing all of New York City and, and nobody knows how this is happening. Now they can steal a baby turtle and a baby wolf and i would say the other dumb thing too is that first of all kino's presence in this movie is also bizarre because like you know he gets in with the turtles and he meets master splinter and splinter spends most of the movie convincing him like not to get involved yeah because he's like you're 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 you know you're skilled but you don't have the experience and this and that and you're gonna get hurt and all this sort of thing meanwhile kino keeps like repeatedly showing that he beyond has the skills is perfectly good to go, all this sort of thing. And then the other thing that Splinter keeps espousing upon is like, you're ninjas, you're not supposed to be seen. You're not supposed to be seen. And like, Raph, like, in the middle of like Kino, like getting inducted into these guys, just like keeps blatantly showing up, yeah. like where he can be seen, and obviously ultimately gets caught. You know what I mean? But, like, but again, it's like, why does he keep checking in with him? Just let Kino get in there and figure out where the place is and then leave. <laughs> but right. just like the first movie, Raphael gets put in a situation where he's got to fight 50 guys and gets whooped again. Right. And, and I'm just like, you just did the exact same scene a year ago in the previous movie. And it just didn't work for me because it kind of, I'm like, Come on, you think he would have learned by now? Right, Gee, still for character I, development. <laughs> I, I can't beat 50 guys. But his presence there doesn't even make any sense. Like, If you go by what the point of what they're doing is, is they wanted to figure out where their new base is. So as soon as they've walked through that front gate, all Kino needs to do is like go hide somewhere for like a minute, then like leave again. <laughs> and then like Raph could be waiting outside. Like it doesn't even make any sense why he's in there. But I mean, I don't know why I'm even picking that apart. This is not the movie to... To be thinking that that right. deep, <laughs> but uh, something I do want to pick apart, though, and this is a very important point, I think, is in this movie they're trying to get Kino to infiltrate the Foot, 
But in the first movie, they're trying to get Danny out of the foot. Yeah, point. I mean, the difference, though, is that Danny has, like, no means of defending himself, and he's getting in, like, via the wrong direction because he wants to join, whereas, like, Kino's, like, a spy. You know what I mean? Like, so, I, I don't know. I feel like that would be the one of the differentiators there, but whatever. Again, we're... we're, we're we're trying to troll depths that aren't there. <laughs> anyway, at this point in the movie, when Raphael gets caught, is when I wrote in the notes, wow, this movie is bad. <laughs> that, that was my literal I saw note. that note and I laughed. And, and the foot actor is awful. And the foot actor I was referring to is the one that also is playing April's cameraman yeah. slash, you know, spy for the Foot Clan. He is such a bad actor in this movie. He, he's got maybe four lines in the whole film, but each one of them is terrible and one worse than the next. And it's just kind of really annoying to see this guy. And, just, and also it's for him to be a Foot Clan member because he looks like you could put a polo on him and he would be looking <laughs> down at you like, right. Oh, aren't you going to get my caddy? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He looks like he belongs at the country club. <laughs> no, that's, that's actually you could describe quite a lot of the the goons in this movie when they take their their um, the, masks the, off. They're like tall, privileged white kids. Like even that gang in the beginning. Yeah, same thing. They're all wearing Doc Martens and yeah. like, you know, like, uh, they got like their khakis on. I don't know if robbing people in khakis is very uh, like <laughs> easy to do because I don't know. I don't, I don't go from business to robbing and, and have my button down shirt on. But. It, it feels like that kind of stuff in conjunction with a lot of the set design and the and the costumes and everything this movie felt very rushed because everything doesn't feel as polished as the first film felt and it feels like it it's suffering because of that like the the set design alone in the in the junkyard fight and wherever else is just so bad it just it was it was distracting and the foot being these like tall, skinny white dudes, it just didn't work for me. And just a lot of the movie just really fell flat because it just it didn't feel as polished. And yeah, well I mean, what's funny is like again, the first movie had like like let's just say for example the fight like in the antique shop, really interesting kind of location to have them sort of like moving through the space fighting. These are just like these like big kind of open playground sets where they yeah. can like run around and do stuff. So again budget you know what i mean like you know for what this movie is it doesn't need to be anything terribly elaborate so i i i see where it you know where it lands but yeah <laughs> so so now we get to a point where Raphael's caught kino gets away tells them the t- tells the turtles by he just get away like straight up runs over the brooklyn bridge like runs to manhattan <laughs> right right he he full on sprints to manhattan to I guess somewhere near Spring Street because he he conveniently finds April O'Neil because he knew where her apartment was because he's a pizza delivery boy. And in fact, like, that entrance that they keep using to April's place is actually not the entrance Spring to Street. the um, uh, Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Oh, really? Oh, yes. that's cool. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, you know, he tells her now, I don't know if this point, if April even knew where the lair was, but magically they get in touch with the turtles and the turtles now have to go rescue Raphael and they get there and they get 
manhandles essentially by uh, Toka and Razar. Well, this was and- like another dopey low point because like they walk into the place and they're like, oh, um, this is definitely going to be a trap. Like April's like, it's going to be a trap. They're like, oh, we're walking into a trap. And then, like, they still, like, immediately just get, like, in the net. And then, like, the guy with the swords <laughs> can't cut them out of their thing. And they're going to, like, drop. I loved how, like, you know, ridiculous, like, you know, turtle soup Shredder was being about. Like, he's going to, like, drop them on, like, some, like, cobbled together thing of, like, pointy stuff. Like a pitchfork. <laughs> some shovel. broken, like, sheet metal. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, like it's so silly. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> But but here's another point that I wanted to point out is in the first movie, they're like masters of disappearing and hiding and being yeah. invisible. Several times in this movie, they're just not good no, at they're it. They're just straight up bumbling idiots in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, for sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. You know. And and they get their butts handed to them and they get captured. And now they're gonna get, you know, dropped on this makeshift, <laughs> you know, spike pit. I'm like, they're turtles with turtle shells. If they turn toward their back, they're just going to, ooh, they're going to scratch on their back. Oh, Here's another one for you. Like, I don't know how that net's going to fall down, but they could, like, hold on to the rope. I don't know. Like, it's just so silly. But but now Splinter magically gets to Brooklyn. Yeah. How? I don't know. But he's there. And, (laughs) And so he saves them with what I would classify as a Kmart store bow and arrow. Yeah. Yes, it's like this. And and you see the arrow fly through the air. And I'm like, oh, my God. No, who, all that's missing from our childhood. Who made this out of a couple of straws? Yeah, all that's missing from our childhood is, is the suction cup ending. Like, it is mm-hmm. straight up out of, like, a KB toy store. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was the worst looking bow and arrow I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm like, oh, boy. And it hits the mark perfectly. Right. Cuts the turtles down. He's got the best aim. <laughs> best aim, no problem. Nobody sees where the arrow comes from. Splinter does. Uh, I'm sorry. Shredder doesn't even reference that Splinter is there, and that's his like his mortal enemy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. They don't have any confrontation, and he just straight up disappears again after that. And the turtles go. I guess he's going to leave it to us. Like, yeah. he, like <laughs> an off, it's an off thing. Like. All right, thanks, Splinter. And yeah. they don't even come back to him. It's like, <laughs> they yeah. point it up and that's it. Everybody gets one. <laughs> yeah. they, they, the turtles now rescue the doctor. They they find a sewer drain and jump into it. And again, we're in Brooklyn. You really can't go from Brooklyn to Manhattan in the sewer. Well, unless but again, you, unless you, you, you the subway I, line. I think you slightly mentioned it, but like they do have that initial fight with Toka and Razar. And like, again, like the whole thing with them is just that they can like pick them up and fling them. Yeah. Like, like just throwing the them. Place, you know what I mean? Like, which again, like makes you wonder why Shredder went through all this trouble of creating these two mutants to only try and drop them on a pile of sharp things to then letting out these two dopey creatures. Yeah. Like maybe like lead with that. <laughs> That was your plan B with the yeah. creatures. Like, yeah. first we're going to try to drop them on a pit of yeah. sharp objects, yeah. and if they don't die from that, let's send the giant mutant monsters who yeah. can crush yeah. them yeah. at them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then obviously Toka gets stuck in the in the sewer drain, and and Michelangelo starts tickling his his awfully horrible <laughs> prosthetic feet. 
And it's just like, oh boy. I'm like, all right. And and, and they and they go back to the joke a couple of times. I'm like, do it once, move on. Like he keeps tickling the foot. I'm like, oh, this is really annoying. Just really didn't ugh, just kind of douchey. I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, um, it was. Okay. So now the the scientist, the Dr. Perry guy, he's in the turtle's lair. They bring him down, they blindfold him, but okay. He's in the sewers. I'm sure he could probably Maybe retrace his steps somehow to find the the lair, but they magically make this anti mutagen with stuff they just had lying around a, a <laughs> colander falls in <laughs> like, like, like a, a colander, a pot of spaghetti, and <laughs> and like a little hand mixer. And yeah, like, like dry we've, ice. we've built this perfect, you know, reverse mutation stuff. And but I love they, the other half of this scene too is like this conversation that they're having which gets to the real root of like the secret of the ooze that like you have this almost like momentary poignant character development finally in this film. Yes, finally. They're like, they're like drilling him like he's like I always wondered what happened to that container it like fell off a truck and like we never were able to like recover it and now you it got blinded a child as well yeah, <laughs> and made yeah. daredevil. Yes. <laughs> like 15 years ago and the, it's like you know, Donnie gets really upset because it's like, you know, what is the reason? Why do we exist? And it's like, oh, like it was an accident. And like, so like what turns out to be the secret of the ooze in this film is there is no secret of the ooze. It's just like a complete happenstance accident, you know, yeah. and like Donnie gets upset over it. And I was like, oh, they're trying to do like momentary character development. And then they kind of just like gloss over it. Yeah. And kind of never come back to it again. So I wanted to mention this as well, because up until this point, I really couldn't figure out who was the actual protagonist of this movie. You know, all four of them are the turtles, but not all four of them are the main focus of the film. And it felt like in this movie, they gave Donatello a lot more to do than the other turtles. He's always inventing something. He has this moment of character development. He's he's the only character that really seems to have some sort of arc, if you will. Well, yeah, I mean, I think they got more into their quirks in this one. Again, like we discussed last time, it's like Leo's the leader, Raph's the angry one. You know, there's that whole sort of thing. But I think that they really tried to get more into each of their individual quirkiness a little bit further. And again, with taking some more notes from like how they acted in the in the cartoon, you know, mm -hmm. so. I see a little bit more of that. And then in that sense, I think Donatello is a little bit more of that more thoughtful one because they portray him as being kind of like the smart guy and all that sort of thing. So I, I agree with that. I could see that being, uh, you know, where that comes from. Yeah, you can see where it starts in the film where he's trying to find his phrase. Like everyone has a one liner and it, it always <laughs> pops and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Donnie's like eclectic and they're like, you stink. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just try again, but try another one. And like, and another, you still don't got it. Like, and that's like the start of the film. And then for him to come like full circle and be the one like leading the guys, like, no, you gotta, you gotta, the, the, and he's just like bonding over, uh, science stuff with the scientists. And that yeah. like makes the big, you know, Oh, anti-mutagen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and then they go and they go to this warehouse where they go to face off against Toka and Razar again and, and try to get reverse them back to their baby form. And 
the thing that happens when they first walk in is Michael, uh, sorry, Leonardo goes like, Whoa! and there's like this weird kind of like karate fake move. And I was like, oh boy. And again, this is the part where I'm like, they're just walking in. No big deal. Like they're not being stealthy or ninja like at all. They just walking together in a line. Hey, we're here. <laughs> you know. I mean, Ref has to say like, "Where you at, Trina? You know, like yeah. He had to say the line because nothing was happening in the scene, and they just walked in like, yep. hands up, like, "What's hey. gonna happen, guys?" <laughs> and so they they fight. They they start fighting Toka and Razar. And at this point, I started saying to myself, "Gee, is Ernie Reyes Jr. like basically done with the movie because he was essentially gone after he." tells April that the turtles are in trouble. You don't see him again. He doesn't come to their rescue and he's not in the lair when, when they're there with the scientist. And literally, as I was saying that poof, magically we cut back to the lair and he's just sitting there meditating with splinter. But I don't know what they were doing. Well, again, this is where the story just doesn't make sense because splinters whole shtick is he's trying to say to him, you know, I think he has a line where he's like, you know, uh, you have um, skill and like I have age and the and turtles have skill and age. And that's why they need to go do this and why like you shouldn't. And like, he's like, you know, like his whole thing, you know, is he's like, uh, yeah, I buy that or whatever. And then like, He's like, no, 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 no. You know, like, I got to help them. So he goes to, like, help them. And then, like, at the end or whatever, he's like, you know, he, like, kicks Shredder. I'm, I'm getting ahead of it myself. But, like, you know, he, he kind of, like, then says the line again, like, oh, you know, like, after he's already come in and done the thing he wasn't supposed to do, he's like, oh, I was taught by a very wise guy that, like, it's not my fight. And it's like, but you were literally trying to join the fight 10 seconds ago. Wait, what? Like, what is his motivation? Like, it's just jumping all over the place at this yeah. point. Like, it's just like, he's just like a, like a weird plot device at this point. (laughs) So one of the things I wanted to point out, and this would tie back into the first film, and this is kind of interesting. And I want to discuss this for a minute. So as I mentioned, Splinter and Kino are meditating in the turtle's lair and they're kind of trying to, I don't know what they were trying to do, but it, it made me kind of call back to the first film because Remember in the first film, after Raphael gets hurt, they go to like April's farmhouse, right? Yeah. And Leonardo is sitting in the woods and he's meditating and he kind of like communicates with Splinter through meditation. And then when Raphael wakes up, they sit around a fire and they're meditating and Splinter essentially force projects himself into the fire as if he's, you know... Obi-Wan Kenobi in the blue light of, of that. And I was like, are they trying to do that right now? Is he trying to teach Kino how to force project? <laughs> I was trying to figure out what's going on. I was so confused. And, and so, you know, a lot of the first film has a lot of tropes that are Star Wars-esque and, you know, the leader, the 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 mortal enemy that was once a friend or what have you. And, and, you know, the, the 
trainees learning, you know, the way of the force, if you will. And that part where they blow up the Death Star, too. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. But but this with, movie with the uh, size and yes, staffs. <laughs> and and, and uh, manual covers. Yes, <laughs> yes. But this movie, I don't know what. Like it didn't know what it was trying to be. Like it didn't have any kind of identity, and they were trying to do a bunch of different things, but nothing seemed to stick. Like they're just like, you know, if Italian grandma used to take a a wad of spaghetti and throw it against the wall, and if it sticks, it's ready and it's done. You know, and this is kind of what they did. Yeah, that looks good. Great. Well, it's to me, it's a cartoon episode or like you know, a cartoon episode arc, I guess, because of the length mm. of it made live action mm-hmm. i mean it's like this is the type of stuff you would see like in the cartoon like where the villain's got some like great plan and he's gonna trick them into showing up and they're gonna fight him and they're gonna have some anti-plan and i mean it's, it's just an episode of the cartoon just made real life that's right. what this movie is so, so now we go back to the big fight where they're fighting uh the two mutated the wolf and the and the snapping turtle and they give them wait we have to have our pre-fight donut and i'm like wait you're telling me shredder doesn't know that there's something going on and the 50 foot clan is sitting around just okay yeah let's give them a snack yeah and that they all like again the whole foot clan shredder at all just wait and they're just like all right well we'll see how this plays out you know like not like where he's just like what are you doing attack them don't eat donuts from them it's clearly poisoned And then it like takes a creepier turn and, get, and they start going like num nums, Oh god, it made me so uncomfortable. So cringy. But then they find the anti-mutagen, which is essentially a dirty ice cube yeah. in the center of the donut. <laughs> like, why not make it the glaze on the donut? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, come on. Just make it right in with the other material. Yeah, you went to the trouble of getting the donut, making the donut somehow. <laughs> like, why put it in an ice cube? I don't know. It was a milkshake before. Why couldn't you just right. put it in with the batter? Yeah, there it is. done deal. But now they get pissed off, and they didn't have all of the mutagen, and they start burping, and. <laughs> And now oh, wait, we get- first, so wait, first they come bashing through the wall and there's this great reveal of like, it says something dopey, like Dockside Club or something. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> something really like if that's the name of the club. Oh, my God. What an original owner. Uh, I have a Dockside Club. I'm going to call it the Dockside Club. <laughs> We're in the meatpacking district here. Yeah. And then we got the Dockside Club. Yeah, great. <laughs> and so they slam into this thing. And, you know, we we get the final reveal of Vanilla Ice on the stage, and they're fighting, and and now the turtles are, are visual, like you can see them. And the thing that I found really odd about this is, you know, how does, um, how does Vanilla Ice know they're ninjas? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of questions for this scene again. <laughs> The inclusion of Vanilla Ice in this movie feels like just trying to get some name recognition or something because it doesn't really make any sense that they'd come in and like he'd like look at them for like five seconds and then would have like this whole like, you know, I guess you would argue it's a freestyle rap 
where he knows details about them that he shouldn't technically know. <laughs> yes. And like, this crowd gets way into it. Like I love like the, the truest form of this whole scene is like the like the guy that like must own the club with like this dirty, disgusting rat tail hair. He's like, who are these guys? We didn't order extras. Call the cops. And then like, you know, things get going and they start playing the music. And somehow like there's a chunk of the crowd that's like enjoying watching like this, like full out fight. And then like the rest of the crowd doesn't even care about what's happening with these giant creatures fighting each other. They're just like watching vanilla ice rap on the stage, you know? And then like, it cuts back to the guy. He's like, I got the cops. He's like, don't call the cops. They like him. They like him. And it's just like, it's so, it's so ridiculous. Like it's so has gone past jumping the shark at this point. It's not even funny. But and here's then the funny like, thing about that. I wanted to point out, right? So, People have been running into the turtles in both movies. Nobody bats an eye. They're like <laughs> giant friggin' turtles. Okay. You know, like, I mean, like half the crowd just accept that at face value. That it's just like entertainment that like, yeah. like for some reason it's these like, like what would that have to do with anything? Like why would some guy like, like this, like vanilla ice, like in there doing ice ice baby or whatever he's doing in there. Like why would these like, just like six and seven foot tall, like turtle and animal creatures just start like fighting each other, you know, like, and they're just like, all the people are like, all right, you know, like, let's watch that. I mean, like, it makes no sense. Yeah. What was the concert before this? That, like, I know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Who was the opening act? I want to know. But then as you said, like juxtaposing this, you just like, you start to get like, they start like burping. And so then the science of this scene, which just boggles my mind oh, is like Donnie takes a moment off from like fighting these two things to like start talking with Dr. Perry who just immediately appears there he just like oh well you know the way to make the mutagenic process would work is that they need carbon dioxide like like what like why wouldn't that have been brought up earlier like what about them eating these ice cubes would have like informed that they needed carbon dioxide so yeah, then they're like, them mouth to mouth. Yeah, right. Like their whole plan then becomes like, oh, there's a fire extinguisher over on the wall here. So we're going to pull the old like doofy trick of like putting something behind them and tripping them on it and then literally murdering them by putting like gallons worth of concentrated CO2 <laughs> down their throats. Like it's great that it works and they turn back into like a turtle and a wolf, but they are going to die because they just had gallons of fire extinguisher foam shot down their throats. They are going to be dead. They are dying. <laughs> at no they are not back. surviving that. Sorry, dude. <laughs> and, and again, the entire audience thinks nothing of this. This is just all part of the show. But one thing I want to point out is, like, as I've said, anybody who sees the turtles, totally cool. But anybody who ever sees Splinter faints. Yes. <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> a rat? A giant talking rat? Holy crap. <laughs> Again, speaking from the New York City thing, that might be realistic. I, I think a New York City people's reactions to rats is pretty much in that vein. So I can see that being the case. <laughs> a little more forthcoming with the turtle thing. Like, yeah. okay, I, can, I, yeah. can, I can deal with the giant anthropomorphic uh, yeah. turtle. That's fine. So, so, now, so now we get Shredder to show up on the dance floor, of course, like on the stage next to Vanilla Ice. And, and you know, he's got the... CGRI canister. Yeah, well, this whole entrance is insane. Like, 
he just like walks in and kicks something over. And again, like this is like the other thing. It's like what you're saying with like the splinter thing. It's like, okay, so there's been four or excuse me, five various turtles and a giant wolf thing fighting. But then this one like just guy with some like metal on him, like kicks a thing over. And all of a sudden now the crowd is like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) like the music all comes to a halt. Like, what? <laughs> and then his whole thing is like, I'm just going to stand on this loudspeaker with that. Yeah. It's just like, what? And, and so he then pulls out another vial of the, of the ooze. Well, no, you're skipping the- bits. So, so, yeah. so like, like again, pff, Kino, like, all right, oh. out of left field, here's Kino. Right. He just like, the Ninja Turtles are about to face off against him. They don't know what they're going to do. And then like this, like Kino just comes running in jumps up on the stage, kicks the thing flying out of his hands, you know, like it's like Kino's taking on the shredder, you know, like all four of the turtles in the first movie could not land a blow on the shredder. In this one, this pizza delivery kid comes in and kicks the thing clear out of his hand. (laughs) And then like, because didn't he like, at this point, he also like snatched up that that woman and he was going to like do something to her? No, that was after. That's after? Because he had the vial? So, little so, so they had a big canister that Kino right. kicks out of his hand, but then he pulls out a second smaller vial that had just the ooze in it, and then he grabs some random girl who just happens to be on the stage, yeah. where she came from, because she's not she, part of the band. She was dancing with the turtles. She followed yeah, them she up really on the stage. Like, with the turtles. It was really I funny. remembered it being funny because I was like, oh, look at like they're hitting on yet another woman in this crowd, and she was mm-hmm. like really into it and like dancing with them, and then like she just kind of did this, this funny like dance follow through the room and mm-hmm. followed them up on stage. So so now again, Kino comes to the rescue and like cranks the subwoofer up or something like that and like blasts the speaker <laughs> and and sends Shredder flying across the room. That was I loved that because I was like, that's that speaker from Back to the Future. That's the Back to the Future speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what? He just blew this guy about 45 feet in the air, through a building, through a window, onto a pier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where's the Mythbusters for that one? I yeah, want to right? see the of that. Like, <laughs> like, how loud did that have to be to reject a, you know, a giant, a 80 pound man? Seven feet tall with, with probably 40 pounds of metal on him <laughs> and a cape. You know, I'm like, this This thing really had some kick to it. And again, in New York City, how close is that kind of a pier to a building? Like, it was really... Well, again, it was the Dockside Club. <laughs> so that was their dopey little, like, we're by water now. <laughs> so now the turtles go outside to find Shredder. and. Somehow, from the moment he got blasted through the air to whenever he landed, he drank the mutagenary, poured it all over himself, and he mutated in a matter of seconds. Eight seconds? Five seconds? How many hours did it take Tobin? Days and days to get bigger. (laughs) And and now comes the Super Shredder. (laughs) And the only reason why we know that it's called the Super Shredder is because they yell at him, oh my god, guys, he, it's the Super Shredder. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And I, there's, everything is just insane about this, because, like, 
not only does the mutagen, like I could accept almost that the mutagen would make this guy gigantic, but the fact that it somehow also changes all of his armor to like <laughs> way crazier, way more spikes. Like Everything is it crazy. just doesn't make a lick of sense. He has like a 64 pack. If you look back yeah, at he it, has. he's got packs and then he has some sub packs. Yeah, it's like, like all in. It's, like, it's like He-Man come to life. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it changed the metal. That was yeah. the cool part. Like the mutagen can change metal. Metal. Yeah. yeah. Like he just gained like 8,000 more spikes on him. And like in fairness, it's actually kind of cool looking. But like, I, I don't know. I wish they had done that but, better. But it, ev- it even changed the helmet. Because if you look at it closely. All of it. Yeah. The whole outfit changes. Like from head to toe. <laughs> and mutagen has some amazing properties. <laughs> and yes. so here is the thing that I don't understand is. Why is he trying to destroy the pier? He's super strong now. Well, they sort of say that, like, like they're like they say to him, like they're they're like you're gonna knock the pier down on all of us, and he's like, if that is what it takes to defeat you, fine, you know, whatever. It's like he's he's like his like you know, it's almost that like that was the whole thing in the cartoon too, is that like you know, Krang was kind of the smart and planning one, and Shredder, for all he was worth, was always like botching up the plans, like by like just a single minded like I gotta destroy these turtlesness. So it seems like he's like adopted some of that. That like he couldn't stand the fact that he got beaten in the first one. So now he's just like, I gotta beat him. I gotta kill these freaks of nature. I gotta beat him. Like even if I kill myself, like I gotta do it. <laughs> right. And and then they have this Ferris Bueller esque moment of self realization, being like, Hey guys, we're we're amphibious. We're yeah. turtles. Like <laughs> we're go ahead. <laughs> break the pier bro go right ahead yeah he sort of like says he's like he's you know like it's like again like it's for the audience but like he says out loud like you know being a ninja is being a master of your environment and we're turtles like you know the shredder at that moment should be like oh yeah they're gonna jump in the water now i should probably like stop clobbering this thing (laughs) (laughs) here's just a just a plot point that i wanted to bring up which is the the main bad guy the big bad guy comes in and none of the turtles even touch him. No one touches him. And he just self-sacrifices yes. himself. And it, it feels lackluster because the turtles have not done anything right. besides being turtles. Well, the again, they haven't landed a punch on him or Tatsu. Well, here's the other thing I would like to point out. Tatsu again. and all the foot are gone. Like, like again. This guy fell off like a probably like good 15 story building into the back of a garbage truck, which then compacted him and he survived. And then at the end of this film, he's been mutated to a gigantic form of himself where he can punch whole pieces of pier away. And we've seen what Toka and Rassar can do with their sheer strength and all this sort of thing. Turtles run up and kick them. They don't even flinch. And now like some wood is going to kill him. Like, I mean, he didn't even drown. Like if he drowned, that'd be one thing, but it's like, like the wood falls on him. And he's doing yet again the thing where his hand is coming out of the thing. And then, like, they see his hand flop and he goes like, uh, uh, uh. you know, like, and I'm just like, all right, so now he's dead. Like, that's like, really? Like, I don't know. I don't buy it. Like, he's definitely like, I would expect him to survive some wood falling on him while he's in super form versus getting but, crushed to death well, by solid steel. Right. <laughs> like, right. if the pier fell into the water and his, you know, hundred pounds of armor on him 
hold him down. Yeah, I mean, well, the Doc Ock death from Spider-Man 2, where he gets right. yanked all the way down under. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's, you know. Like, well, he's not dead because he's back in the next I Spider-Man saw, movie. So I saw, yes. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But, but yeah, so after this, what happens in the movie? Like, they, they, they pop up their turtle shells out of the water. And Which then is it's creepy. It yeah. was really creepy that like their shells popped up almost as if they were like dead. Dead, yes. Like, yeah. and then like the next thing they just like kind of like pop up on the pier, like, all right, well, we got out of that one or whatever. You know? Right. God, I love, I love being, being a turtle. A turtle. <laughs> you know they are. <laughs> and and so you know they get down to the the sewer and they go back to Splinter, and he makes another joke and he goes. I made another funny, and then the movie ends. I guess. Yeah, he makes him do more because he shows him the newspaper. Like he's like, "Oh, what did I say about you know not being seen in public?" And then he shows him like like this like posed photo of them like on the front page of the newspaper. That's like the this ninja is ninja rap, rap on board. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so dope. Another another we don't do stealth. Yeah, <laughs> and and like. I, like the freeze frame in the beginning of the movie where they run in a jump and it freeze frames and says Ninja Turtles, they like do their like, pr- you know, punishment backflip and it freeze frames and does yeah. Ninja Turtles again. <laughs> but again, you know, now April hasn't been seen in a half an hour, I feel like. Like she's completely gone. Yeah, in no, movie. She's done. She's done. <laughs> and, you know, the movie just ends fine, whatever. They don't wrap up that they caught the rest of the foot. You know, Tatsu's still out there. That guy. Yeah. For all types of purposes, even though he gets his butt kicked, he always gets away for some reason. Yeah, they did that like where they slammed all their shells together and he's just like flopped over. <laughs> yeah. So Dr. Perry steals the TG, the, uh, the ooze. Oh, the yeah. End. Yeah. And, you know, it's so looking at it in the lens of, like I said, I just watched the first one and you just watched the first one as well. The first one is a far better movie. I think. The, the story is better. The visuals are better. The cinematography is way better. Uh, the martial arts are way better. This movie just to me feels very rushed, very tonally different. And I did not enjoy it. I was like, I couldn't wait for it to be over. Unfortunately, <laughs> I couldn't wait for it to be over. It, did, it wasn't even as funny as the first one. Like the first one had good, like, humor the jokes just didn't land for me in this movie where do you fall on it luke where's what's kind of your um like final grade on this on this thing (laughs) well i i would say it had a higher grade when i was reminiscing with you guys last time and i was like (laughs) this is a great movie i love all those parts those are great but as i'm seeing the dialogue and i'm watching it and they're spoon feeding me they're like hi i'm donatello and i do this (laughs) And I'm Raphael, and I hate everyone. You know, and you <laughs> just there. You just sit there, and you're going like, I, my eight year old, nine year old brain was was going, yeah, I'm eating this a lot. I just love it, and I I watched it till it it broke the tape basically. But now I I put it on. My kid was like, "What is this, Dad?" And I'm like, "It's Ninja Turtles. You love Ninja Turtles, it's like not these, not this, not this." He he got mad at the turtles. That they put Kino in a box. They're like, why would he? Why would the turtles hurt a kid and put him in a box? Right. Like, they're good turtles. Why would they put him? In, I'm like, I don't know, Joey. 
It's a good question. It's a great question. I'm going <laughs> to bring it up to the guys who made this film. Why would you put a supporting cast member in a box and say, stay there instead of just say like lock the door and go, you're staying out there. Yeah. So I, funny thing for me is I can see where my nine year old self loved this to death. I can see where my now 38 year old self looks back at it and goes, all right, you know, I can see where it's coming apart at the seams and all this sort of thing. The funny part for me though, is again, like as I was sitting there watching it, like, and maybe it's part nostalgia and something like that, but I found myself sitting there enjoying it. I I didn't, I I was worried I was going to go back and really hate this after like not seeing it for years and years. And I was like, you know what? It's watchable. It's really corny. It's really goofy. I think as I was watching it, I kept saying to myself, as I've said already, I feel like I'm watching an episode of the cartoon brought to real life. You know, so in those ways, it still had like a passing grade for me. That said, yeah, it does not compare to the first one. Like the first one, they just everything about it. They did a more interesting and better job with it. Um, But with the way the turtles still look and act and feel, it just still felt like lived in and I, I, I could still get through it again. There's still really goofy stuff that doesn't make sense. The whole third act is just jumping the shark to the extreme. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just so silly. It doesn't make any sense. The vanilla ice thing is just all over the top and is like bananas. But you know, I found myself enjoying it while I was watching it. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Like, in the first movie, you could genuinely, like, connect with one of the turtles. Whether it was Leonardo worrying about his brother, you know, surviving, or all of them worrying about Splinter, or even... No, 100%. You know, Casey like story Jones and character development and everything is, is all there in that one. And, like... I guess what I would say is like, I like these movies for two different reasons. I like the first one because it's like kind of taking itself seriously and they're, they're doing like a quality job on what could be a really silly thing. Mm-hmm. The second one's like the exact same and opposite of that. Like it's just goofiness. It's just yeah. like silly cartoon. You know what I mean? And like, it's like the three stooges essentially. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So like, you know, there's questionable stuff. I wish they had done different things with the characters. Like I wish April had more to do. I wish they didn't like put such a leash on Kino. I wish that they had like just made him. Cause you know, like think about the cartoon, think about characters like Casey Jones and that, that would like join them and be like a fully functioning, helping part of the team with them. Then there's no reason Kino couldn't be that. Like the fact right. that they kind of kept like, being like, oh, you shouldn't interfere. You should interfere. You shouldn't interfere. I'm going to interfere. I'm not going to interfere. You know, it's just like it's it just made the character pointless at the end right. of the day. You know what I mean? I, and uh, you know, especially if you're going for that, like Kino is the kid's route into like imagining myself into this movie. You know, like just like let him be. You know, like mm-hmm. put him in there and let him do his thing. Then. I agree. I I think he had he had the best moves of the the whole movie. Oh, bar bar none. Every time he showed up, it was like, look at his move. I mean, none of the turtles moved like him, except for those backflips. Those were really... The really backflips were the cool, like, wow. <laughs> and so to, to wrap this thing up, because I realized that we're in the two-hour range here, how would you have done this movie differently? 
And let's let's throw it to Luke first. Let's let's have him like guest uh, first take on this. What it, it, because we're kind of a little iffy on this. Like, what would be your ideal version of TMNT two if you could go back and kind of produce this sucker? Honestly, if uh, going into it, if I knew it was going to be this kind of slapstick, we're just trying to sell toys. Kind of, I have like two versions of this. First version would be go go hard on the it's it's a cartoon live action version. But make the jokes better. We need better writers <laughs> of the jokes. Because honestly, even as a kid, I didn't really like the jokes. <laughs> they weren't really hitting. And like they put in some stuff for like the adults to kind of get it, but it wasn't it was not nearly as catchy for an adult to even get it. Right. Yeah. So if they had better sticking jokes and like their one liners were really like punchy, like they were in the first film, you would feel like, hey, you know, it's kind of quirky and cheesy, but I'm laughing like all the time because they're saying stuff that is just so funny or like hidden messages that, you know, the adults would get that were a little right. more like, like toy story would do kind of like jokes for adults that the kids wouldn't fully get, but they'd laugh at because it's like, Oh, it's funny, but it's still a joke. Like, Oh my God, it's hilarious. Like, you know, yes. and, and, and right. those kind of jokes weren't there in this movie. Well, it is funny, and it's funny you bring that. There's even like visual gags in this movie that are kind of like falling flat. Like, there's probably I want to say three or four instances of Donatello using a pool cue thing to like um, chalk the end of his bow staff, and it's like, all right, one time is like, all right, this is like five or six times. Yeah, it's just like it just it's like it's so pointless. By the time it's almost like a nervous tick after a while. (laughs) Right, you're like Donnie. It's not a pool stick. Yeah, you actually know ninja stuff. Like, you know how to use the bow staff. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> but what you know, was the I second version that you had in mind? The second version is to go straight out of your 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 first movie and go in and take yourself seriously. And even if, if you kept all the characters the same, because I know they were in a rush to get this out, um, is, one, Shredder should be mangled, and he should be, like, just grasping for life. And you could have Tatsu kind of like help him get stronger, get like if it was more of a shredders coming on the back <laughs> and, and getting healed. And that's scary enough that because you knew from the first film, I was scared to death of shredder. So if you, if you're like, he's back and now he's training like Rocky to like beat the turtles. And meanwhile, the turtles are sitting back on the like heels going like, we did it, man. There's no way shredders coming back from that. And we're the best. And them to get slapped by Shredder in like the first fight back, and like, oh no, you know, we 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 just escaped through the manhole cover because he was beating all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you get this scare of Shredder again, and then he brings these monsters to like even up the ante. Mm-hmm. It would be a whole different film, even if you smash through the club and there's vanilla ice in there. You're still like, there's a Shredder, and he's coming, and that would that would be enough, I think, to really sell the serious version. All right, yeah, I could I could see that. Yeah, I I kind of like if you wanted to go with being silly, like then I would have figured out a way to make the Toka and Razar characters funny as opposed to horrifying looking. Um <laughs> and I would have made the foot more like more goofy, but not like the goofy that they were, but like showcase them doing thieving things but instead of stealing tvs like stealing somebody's like lunch money or something that's something like silly 
or or pizza boxes just vanishing. There's a, a pizza shortage all over New York City, and that's like the the MacGuffin of the movie. You know, like the ninja, ninja slices. Yeah, they're, they're all over. But I I would have probably leaned into the the first movie and moved the story forward from there. You know, leaned into Casey Jones, learned about him more, and. If you didn't want to do Shredder, you know, figure out another character. Or, you know, if you do bring in Baxter Sockman, maybe he's the one that gives some sort of modified version of the mutagen to Shredder to have him regain his strength after being nearly dead from the from the garbage truck and and go that route. It just fun sort of take on it, yeah. Like if he like found him or something like that, and then like essentially, if you want to do that whole super Shredder thing, like essentially have him treat him with that. And yeah. And almost get like a whole movie where it's become the super shredder. And he's like yeah. to Luke's sort of thing. Like he almost becomes like where he's just going to like beat them down right away. And like, yeah. they got to like train more to like figure out how to, to, you know, get past this new threat. That's a, that's a fun thought. That's true. A training sequence. They never had a single, like, let's get better. <laughs> You're going to need a montage. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <The> montage. <laughs> we, we didn't even have like a karate kid moment where they where like splinter teaches them a new way to fight. Like, you know, here's a new technique you never knew that I, I'll show no, you it's now. True. Like, and again, like we've we've pounded this down that there's no new character development really in this thing, except for that one point where they try and like get like, oh, so like our lives are meaningless. We're not something but an accident. You know, like there's nothing that they take away, learn, get better at, you know, nothing that really like improves them. Like even like what you were bringing up before with the splinter and the fire thing, like, you know, the whole thing was they was training them then is like, you have to come together and work together and like, you know, focus not only on the physical, but your mind. And like, that's when you'll truly become what you need to be, you know, sort of thing. And like, mm-hmm. there's nothing like that here. It's all just like show up, fall into a trap, show up again, fall into a trap again, you know, do some zany antics. Everything will turn out fine. Yeah, no, yeah. There's, there's none of that here. <laughs> and, and truth be told, you know, though they're essential to the story. Other than Splinter's Kmart bow and arrow, he serves no purpose in the movie. Uh, April O'Neil serves zero purpose in the movie. Even Kino, for the most part, other than kicking the canister out of Shredder's hand, doesn't really do anything. Like They don't help the plot move forward at all, those three characters. They're just sort of there, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't have a much different or better take than either of you on, on what I would do with this, except to say whether it is a serious take or a silly take, I would just dive into that expanded turtles lore. There's so many great villains and, um, even other like, um, uh, protagonist characters, good guy characters that they end up teaming up with outside of even Casey Jones over time. Um, there's just so much that they could dredge and do with it. And, you know, like, if you take the stand that like, all right, Shredder died in the first movie, there's still so much more that they could do and explore, you know, and it's, it's a little bit of a shame for me that they decided to stick with that. Again, the only reason I can say is that they were just so invested in what kids were going to think about this. And they knew the popularity of Bebop. Gotta sell them toys, baby. Exactly. That they wanted to kind of like, you know, you know, bring that whole thing together. So I can see that being the case, but there's just so much more they could have done with this. If they, if they had gone that like, you know, route with Krang and have him like, you know, you know, actually create some kind of actual secret to the ooze, you know, like find out some behind the scenes thing on the mutagen, even if it is just Baxter Stockman, as you said, messing around with it and 
create like even forget shredder let's say he creates the new mutants you know what i mean don't mm-hmm. even have to do mousers he could create them um and and you know you know just like he heard about in the city that there was these things and he puts two and two together you know there's so much that they could do that they just didn't go with and i i feel like they could have done a lot more with it and again like give the existing character something to do like kino's fine kino's a way for kids to see themselves here let April do something. You know what I mean? Like let her be more of a foil in in the plot again. Like we don't really need this kid. He doesn't really serve any ultimate purpose. And again, by the third movie, I don't think he's there anymore. He's back to like Casey and they're off on their um, time travel adventure and all this sort of thing. Um, The funny thing, and maybe we'll, we'll finish everything out on on the third movie is like I said, I did go back and watch the trailer for it because I had like that vague recollection of, you know, they use that staff to travel back in time. One of the things I forgot about is that when they use that staff, it like transports equal amounts back. So like there's that whole other portion of the movie where it took the four samurai that they were going to rely on and brought them to the future. So it's like them doing the fish out of water thing, like learning about New York and everything is so silly. And then like April ends up, I think she ends up in the past first and the turtles follow her because yeah. like, she found it like in an antique shop. So I like, I'm happy they bring back like that antique thing again, you know? And like, she has like the weirdest outfit where it's like this like bizarre garb where her just legs are showing like, <laughs> it, was, it was very odd. And then they have um, like basically the guy from, uh, from the painting from uh, Ghostbusters two. Uh, oh, what's his uh, name? I can't think of it. Gozer? No, is that that's the Gozer, one? Gozer, no, that's the first one. Uh, no, it's um, I can't think of it. But like, basically, a guy that looks a lot like that is like, I will sell you cannons, my lord, to defeat these demons. Like the people think they're demons, and he's like, sees like the white guy selling them cannons and all this sort of thing. I was like, what a silly, ridiculous movie. And then like, they just look awful. Like it's no longer the Jim Henson creature so i don't know if they lost license to use that if it's a different production company putting that because again it's another year later that that movie's coming out so it's another one they cranked out really fast so what i was told was it was the same costumes but because they were falling apart and they didn't have jim henson's company on it anymore they had to put uh like the samurai garb on them so that it would hold the costumes yeah, together. They've even got like they look like they've been like out in the sun too much. They've got like sunspots <laughs> or something yeah. is the only way I can describe it. Yeah, they they like, don't look good. And actually I remember they actually even came out with like a toy line that was like the movie versions and like they had like the spotty look to them. They looked like <laughs> diseased. They didn't look good. I didn't want to ever play with those. I didn't get those toys. No, no one did. No, no one got no those. No one got those. Uh what was that movie? What was that? thing called um you're still trying to think of the ghostbusters guy yes you're killing me now it's bothering me uh uh vigo vigo, vigo. Yeah, vigo. Yeah. i pulled that one out i was like i was vigo. Oh. <laughs> worship vigo yes vigo, yeah. god i love you man i'm so sad you. we didn't get to do the ghostbusters <laughs> movies on this podcast i'm telling you i think as a special we need to do like the Every once in a while, the uh, box office 40 at a point and go back and do some of these 80s movies we missed. <laughs> I could do that. I'd be down for that. But, uh, you know, overall grade of this movie, uh, I'd give it a C. Funny enough, despite how I was 
flaming how much I enjoyed it. I think I'm going to be in like a C plus B minus zone as well because it's it, I enjoyed it, but it's not a quality movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm in the B range. Definitely, I I, <laughs> I I can't give it any higher, and that's that, I'm being fearful because of the the history. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah just my my younger self would have given it an A plus. You know. Oh, for yeah. sure. So that basically wraps it up for us for this edition of Box Office 30's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, which is a very long title when you say it fast. <laughs> uh, you know, it was it was a movie. <laughs> it was a movie. Yeah. Um, but Pete, what do we have next month? Next month, we have a movie that I am to understand that we're going to be at slight odds about. So uh, the next movie up is What About Bob? Oh, now, God. you've told me that this is not a favorite of yours. I hate <laughs> this movie like now it, if i had to pick a bill murray richard dreyfus film that i could hate more than this it doesn't exist i mean are I, there many bill murray richard no, dreyfus team ups no but what, no, what i'm saying is like either one of them in any particular movie gotcha. okay like, i see the angle this movie i oh it's gonna be really tough to get through this movie i'm i'm just this may be the one that I drop some curses on. I'll tell you, my, right? <laughs> my Bill Murray movie like that is lost in translation. I, I just, I cannot stand that movie. Um, but uh, uh, the flip side to all this is that when I was chatting with Ange uh, back in December or January about what the new lineup was going to be, um, I mentioned that this was on there. And she goes, oh, I would do that one with you again. I'd come back and, and be a guest. I love that movie. So I'm pitting my best buddy here against my other half and like we're gonna have the showdown because i actually told her i said last night she goes who's taking the notes for that one i said you are she goes i would take the notes for this one you are so wait a minute <laughs> three months in a row of notes and you're gonna get month four we'll off see. we'll see i i can see myself taking notes because here's the thing i don't think i've seen what about bob so i might be coming in fresh on this one i don't really? think I, I don't to i i'll i'll Maybe have a different story to sing when we get into next week, when we do the preview review. Maybe it'll jog something. Just thinking about the name and things like that, I don't remember seeing this one. Uh -huh. I remember the name. I remember people talking about it, but I don't remember personally having seen it. So it, it might be like a three-way, like, fresh eyes, hate it, love it, trifecta. So yeah. we'll, we'll see what it looks like when we get into it. Also next month, we have dropping our bonus episode of The Rocketeer, that Pete joined myself and Steven on for 90 Super Cinema for our Patreon. And it was a lot of fun. There's some really interesting stuff in there. and some really good jabs at me at several <laughs> times, which is quite entertaining. So that'll be dropping us a bonus next month as well, which is really exciting. And you can find us on Twitter at BoxOffice330, on Facebook at BoxOffice330, and on Instagram box office 30 t-h-i-r-t-y and you can also go and buy some sweet merch on t public looking for box office 330 right pete yes and the best way to find our t public store because i don't know how incredibly searchable it is, is really hard. box office 30 with a three zero dot com t public has the worst searching <laughs> algorithm i've ever seen on any merchandise website I, I can't find either one of my podcast shirts for the <laughs> life of me. 
and I bought stuff from the site, and I tried to link from there, and it still <laughs> doesn't go there. Like, where is this shirt? Yes. I just want to buy another shirt, for God's sakes. I mean, in fairness, in reality, we're the only ones buying our own merch here, <laughs> despite us advertising it. Um, but uh, but again, boxoffice30.com, great place. If you're just joining us on this show, great place to go check out um, older episodes. Um, you can find us on all the major podcast outlets, Apple, Google, Stitcher, all the fun stuff out there. So so feel free to go back and check out our back catalog. Um, I recently, uh, with some uh, great help from Jason over at the Retro Network, decided to renumber our podcast. We had been doing sort of like episode one. Part one would be the box office 30. Part two would be the review, then part two. And it was just getting confusing. So Jason helped me. We renumbered everything. So this, believe it or not, is the 20th episode of Box Office 30. We're 20 deep in this sucker already. So uh, feel free to go back and... I know what number we were at. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So go back and check out some of our old stuff. You can you can see us finding our way to, uh, to here. Hopefully we're getting better as we go. And uh, if not verbose, because I can see that our, our ticker is way over two hours, this one. But it's fun. It's fair. We have a guest. It's, it's, a, it's a nostalgia one. So we're good. Yeah. But um, as always, you know, check out the Retro Network as well. They've got a lot of great content. They're great supporters of our show, and we appreciate all their help. And also, Luke, thank you so much for spending this month with us. And you yes, know, huge thank you for our first guest that has done two episodes in a row with us. We've had some that have done one or the other, but we have to have you back, sir. You added so much to this. You really did. <laughs> you were really fun to to chat with and just catch up, and you know. It was really a good time. I really enjoyed it. And it was fun to just all take jabs at each other. <laughs> exactly. I, I appreciate you guys having me on the on the show. And uh, I had a, a blast like, just getting back into the turtles. Just just lit everything up. And I have like my two little turtles here. I have like the foot soldier and my little Leo. Nice. Uh, sitting there. Very cool. I dug them out of the, the basement. And well, there you go. Very cool. <laughs> so until next time, hope you see it in the cinema. Or in the theater, or nope, nope, or on social media, <laughs> <laughs> or on HBO Max, or on some sort of streaming platform. <laughs> well, we'll see you. Bye, bye, everybody. God, I love being a podcaster. <laughs> 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 bye, friends. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.